welcome into In This Corner with the Brian Campbell. This is the professional wrestling edition. Now, damn it, you know who I am, but I'm going to tell you anyway. It's the return of well-dressed Nick Costos, and I made time from my busy schedule to join my man Brian Campbell in studio here in lovely, balmy South Florida. And while I've been gone, dear listener... I've been busy and not just at work because a couple weeks ago, Brian Campbell, I walked into the BMW dealership and the guy came up to me and he said, well-dressed Nick, I've got the car for you. It's a beautiful white four series. And I said, get the hell out of my face and get your manager over here. How dare you insult me with a four series? Well-dressed Nick wants an M4 or better. And Handsome Nick bought the M4. Handsome Nick bought this beautiful Breitling watch that's currently adorning his left wrist. If I had to calculate the outfit that I'm wearing, Ferragamo shoes, Ted Baker suit, Hugo Boss shirt, Eton tie, Breitling watch. We're talking thousands upon thousands, possibly in the tens of thousands of dollars, because handsome and well-dressed Nick does not rest in peace. He can stay up all night. And as always, or maybe not as always, because I haven't been around the last few weeks, but as always, I am joined by my tag team partners. First up, he is broadcasting not from the studio in lovely, balmy South Florida. He's at some golf course somewhere doing his other job for CBS. I see him on Skype right now. It's a weird upward camera angle. I can see his goatee. I can see the food stuck in his goatee from his lunch earlier today. He is gross. He is repulsive, but he's our guy. He is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. What the hell was that? Hey, now. And as always, I am joined by the man whose name is on the marquee. Come on. He is the showstopper. Let's go. He is the main event. Bring it. He is the whole effing show. My man. He is the bod that runs the pod. One time. He is the mast that guides the cast. Stay hyped. You know his name, damn it. He is the Brian Campbell. Oh, yeah. BC. Tell them what's on the Yeah, podcast. well, you know, you're going to want to do yourselves a favor and get some of this as we broadcast live right near the beach. Bye. We got the band back together, and we've got bottles of underjuice ready to be spilled just days out from Sunday's WWE Royal Rumble card. We will preview that card in great detail along with Saturday's NXT TakeOver Philadelphia show. We also recap the highs and lows from Raw 25. And go pay-per-view rewind back to the scene of the crime. Three years ago, Roman Reigns, Philadelphia, booed out of the building. Yes, you remember it. But it goes without saying that this great show and the libido of the gentleman seated to my left is brought to you and underwritten by that performance-enhancing audio. One thing we will be talking about today is which guest spots and surprise reveals we are most excited or hoping for in this year's Rumble. And that's great. But how about the Greek himself? the most passionate man in North America, making a long-rumored return to the ITC to stimulate our feel house. You know what I'm talking about. Hello, ladies. Oh, yeah. Feel house, I like that. He's South Florida's most eligible bachelor and a man who's been known to swipe right without using his hands. It's handsome Nick Costos. Welcome back. Brian, it is no longer handsome Nick Costos. I am now... Well-dressed, Nick Costos. Until I change my mind and I go back to the handsome gimmick, truthfully, they are the same thing. So, guys, it is great to be back, so let's get right into it. As we do every single show, Brian Campbell, we begin with the main event. This is the main event. (laughs) 
we're, we're going to do that again. We're a little rusty. We're not going to cut this out of it. We're a little rusty with the timing. So, Brian, you ready for it? We're going to do this one more time. As we do each and every show, Brian Campbell, we begin with the main event. This is the main event. Raw 25. Are you not entertained? This Monday night from Barclays Center and the Manhattan Center. Simulcast. I gave my thoughts on Twitter. I'm going to save mine until after the Brian Campbell and the Silver King give their thoughts. BC, you're up first. What'd you think? I'm afraid I've got some bad news. Look, it was disappointing. How do you build up a anniversary card, a special, to this degree? To the degree that... Every week for months, we've got guests on. They're showing up on The Tonight Show. WWE put forth the kind of marketing to go with this, that this felt bigger than the 1,000th episode of Raw, that this felt bigger than anything. And to coincide it, which ultimately was a fail, as your go-home episode to Royal Rumble, I don't see how you could have sat through three-plus hours, three-and-a-half hours to be exact, this past week, and outside of that mountaintop moment of Austin McMahon not come out of here feeling at the very worst disappointed. Maybe you didn't think it was an abject failure like I did, but at the very least, disappointed. Oh, am I supposed to go now? Because I don't know. I think I'm disgusting, disgusting and grotesque, right, Nick? So repulsive. I guess I get to speak at this point. Repulsive, repulsive was the word sorry. that I used with the food and the goatee. Well, well, thanks for giving me a little bit of opportunity here. Look, BC, you nailed it, and I have a feeling Nick is going to counter us and tell us how wrong we are. But that was terrible from start – not from start to finish, from 8.15 p.m., until 11.30 when the show finally ended. I mean, we can go ad nauseum about every single detail that was wrong, and I hope we do get that opportunity. But long story short, they messed up on literally everything they could have possibly messed up on with the exception of Austin McMahon in the opener. And even Austin McMahon, by the way, which right, was you're, fantastic. You're, I don't want to hear you criticize the Austin I'm McMahon. just going to say it, it was fantastic. It was you know what this show is designed to do, right? It's What's supposed to take everybody who loves, used to love Raw and WWE. Oh, I haven't watched. I heard, I heard on Twitter all night. I haven't watched in a decade. This is the first time I'm back. And they grabbed them with that opening segment. Yep. But then they let them down right afterwards with an eight woman tag. Like it's just, it's, you know, but even how great that first segment was, it was still very safe predictable and formulaic it was fantastic so what? but but my point well, is what did you want them to do what did you want vince to give austin the but stutter? for that to be the mountaintop moment and then nothing to follow it, it look it was lazy overall you you have to understand how much talent was in that locker room they did not cheapen out on the amount of plane tickets and hotels that they purchased to bring these people back outside of like bret hart who was busy in the rock who didn't show up and really like punk who else would you have wanted there besides hogan every single person was there and to put out that, Nick, it was lazy. And that's the worst thing you could say about a card, a show, that they put that much effort to promote. How do they do that? You know, here's the conclusion that I've come to in the, uh, the weeks that I've been off the podcast, not watching Raw Live because I'm here at the office at nights. I think wrestling is the ultimate DVR sport. Because you fast forward past the crap that you don't want to watch and you watch the stuff that you want to watch, right? So that eight women tag you're talking about, I watched the introduction, I watched the story setups, I fast forwarded and watched the finish. So Raw 25 was an insanely pleasurable viewing experience for yours truly. And I just love the fact that wrestling fans, such a bloodthirsty, cynical group that nothing ever satisfies them. Like, honestly, what were you expecting? Omega and Okada for 45 minutes in the main event. Were you expecting a, a, a triple threat tag team TLC like we saw at Wrestle? 
WrestleMania 17. What was the expectation going into it? It was a fun night. They gave you the nostalgia. They mixed in some current storylines. And by the way, you even tweeted this, and I couldn't agree more, Brian. Austin McMahon was worth the price of admission. And if I would like, before we get into, and I want you guys to destroy what you didn't like, and then maybe I'll counterpoint Austin McMahon segment and why it was so great. So Vince comes out, and my first thought is, Vince doesn't look good, and he didn't look good, right? And that's not an insult to say that, right? Silver King, like he's in his, what, early, mid-70s at this point? 72. Yeah, he didn't look good. And I felt like he kind of, after the fact, was rope-a-doping us a little bit on the mic at the start because I'm watching, I'm listening to him on the mic, and I'm thinking, this is uncomfortable. Like this, like is really Willy Wonka bad. coming out and, and with the cane type of thing? Bad, and bad, right? Like, and I'm like, this is going to be a train wreck here. And, like, and I think they rope-a-doped us with the thank you, Vince, and they, they kind of played into the fact that maybe they were chanting CM Punk, and Stephanie, he goes, stop that right now. And well, Steph- Stephanie and Shane hugging him and pissing him off was fantastic. So, And then all of a sudden, on a dime, he goes from old yeah. man, Mr. McMahon, to straight up 1999, Mr. McMahon. And I don't know about you guys, I was howling in laughter watching Vince reprise that old gimmick. It had everything from the exaggerated gulp of fear when Austin's music hit, which is absolutely hilarious. He brought back the MBA. He did that. He did his <laughs> voice, which we haven't heard him do in a long time. He ran down the crowd. The first line was, he goes, this is cheap. Well, we are in Brooklyn, and the crowd starts booing. That was the first moment when you knew that segment was going to be fantastic. And then he goes off with the plaque things, because you know what a plaque is? It's something that all of you guys have in your teeth. And when Austin stunned Shane, the best line of the whole thing, Vince goes off the cuff. He had it coming to him about his own son after he took the stunner. The fact that Hilarious. Vince twice in storyline sold out his own son was <laughs> right. so perfect. So that's why that was the, the – I mean, that's the mountaintop moment. Anybody coming back to see this Raw 25 that hadn't been dialed in, they got it right off the start. They got what they wanted. I mean, that's, that's, I, I feel like something a lot of people missed from that segment, which to me was actually the highlight, best part of the segment. After he gets stunned, after Shane gets stunned, and Austin and McMahon are celebrating, Vince pours out an entire beer on his son, laying prone <laughs> on the canvas. He just pours it all over him. And I, like, I feel awesome. like Shane looked up like, that wasn't part of it. I loved it. And, it had, so and Vince, when he first got handed the Miller Lite, by the way, gave like, like the tiniest sip. And you saw on his face almost like, I'm, n- I'm not even going to drink this cheap crap for this segment for Raw 25. So there's a lot of little subtle brilliance in there. Did you want to hear Austin on the mic at all? Because that was the one. Yeah, if, if, you, if you are going to criticize it. Exactly. That's the formulaic part. It was so safe and formulaic. They stuck to the hits. Without even letting what could have been the best moment. Because why didn't Austin talk? Because that's the one thing. Because I was dying to hear him, and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. It would have been one thing if he, like, had written into his contract or his his decision, hey, I don't want to talk. They did a four-minute interview with him on backstage that they put on WWE.com and on Twitter, and it was incredible. And they could have put that on TV, and it would have been worth it. But to have Steve Austin in the ring and not hear that's the bottom line or give me a hell yeah or any of that type of stuff – it, that was just a microcosm of the problems that were wrong with Raw 25. Do you guys think that the reason why Austin didn't talk is because they were afraid of the overwhelming what chance all night potentially? I don't think so. Although they, we did get a lot of what in the very beginning when Vince started talking opposite Stone Cold. I think there's just this fear. Like there were a lot of moments where, where other pe- people should have been allowed to talk. And instead we saw a lot of just, oh, we're going to have cameos where we announce Like when Razor's music hit and all of a sudden they go to commercials. Which is, like, which like, was, that, that was pretty odd, which right? Which was so odd and, and just in your face that they didn't properly time the show well. That they just like, – look, it was a – you have to agree, Nick. Whether you think my expectations shouldn't have been as high as they were. And I say my expectations were that high because WWE made my expectations that high, right, for the marketing that they did. 
overall, like, it just was ill-planned. It just was, it just was lazy. It just really, I mean, like we said, even right, how so, so great talk, this talk about what was, you guys didn't like. All right, I didn't like that. There just really was, uh, for a go-home show, like, this is, you know, ultimately, they came in with, with two competing things, right? They're trying to serve two ma- masters at once, give you a heated go-home show ahead of the, really, the, the second most important pay-per-view in the year, and at the same time, serve the history of Raw and have these great moments. So to put that much time into the Manhattan Center and putting out the IcoPro banners and make it look exactly like it did on January 11th, 1993, and then to mismanage that arena and the use of it and the amount of time that it was on the air, they threw it up for like five seconds off the start and then didn't go back to it for about 35 minutes. And, you know, I feel pity for anybody in the crowd, by the way, that paid upwards of seven, eight hundred $800. You shouldn't have done that. It's their fault for doing and it. And got a two-minute cruiserweight match to keep them, you know, happy for an hour. So what my point is, they didn't serve either one because that was not a juicy go home raw. It was lazy and predictable, and it was not a celebration that you know what this episode should have been? The kind that years from now, we can throw on the network and relive these fun moments. That segment with Vincent in Stone Cold should have essentially been repeated four to five more times. How many viewers did they lose when they came back from commercial from Stone Cold Steve Austin drowning himself in beer and you go to an eight-women tag match. Like, I'll bet you none, because it's a three-hour show. I mean, like, that no. should have come. No, here's why. It wasn't just an eight-women tag match, and I'm sorry to interrupt you. It was a three-segment, boring eight-women tag match three that segments, had no storyline relevance. Breaks. That's why you got to watch on DVR. You fast-forward through that garbage. Right, but, but here's the point. You're trying to keep viewers there the whole three hours, and in those three hours, to 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 trap the old viewers you want to give them something about the new product that would entice them that did not entice them yes the ending with oscar was fine why wouldn't you bring out female legends you know the kind that you gave a one second cameo to later in the show how about how about tori wilson by the way who are smoking hot white white short shorts god savior oh my god so mrs undertaker it was an absolute smoke show so i'm just saying i'm so hold don't go too far my point is why wouldn't you mix them with the legends we already think we're going to be teased that there's going to be some female legends coming back to the rumble Rumble. yeah why wouldn't you tease that and that that's how you put over the new crowd but you know they went deep to bring out some pregnant ladies, and you know what? You know, we really... And if you ever talk about my pregnant wife again, I'll knock your f- teeth so down So I don't want to hear you talking about Marisa Shape right now, Nick, but I will say overall, Tori Wilson and Michelle McCool. You know what? The you Michelle... I, I, that was a highlight for me, because I love Michelle McCool's theme music. You're not enough for me. And I heard it, and actually took me a second to register whose music is that again, and then I saw her walk out, Mrs. Undertaker. I was like, this is absolutely awesome, but... Yeah, I mean, look, could they have done something more with the women in terms of the Royal Rumble match? Yes, but here's my overall point. The night was fun. Like, I thought it was pretty good. And as far as, like, a go-home show for the Rumble, the Rumble sells itself. Like, there's nothing that they could have done or not done that would make me more or less excited for the Royal I'm locked in either way because it's the Royal Rumble. It's the second biggest show of the year. They don't need to sell it. They didn't need to sell me on the Royal Rumble. So I was fine with the nostalgic stuff. Now, Austin McMahon was the best, but I wrote this on Twitter. Like, what did you guys want to happen? Like, Brett and Sean to do another Iron Man no, match? No, here's what I want. Like, no, Undertaker wanted... to throw Mick Foley off the cell? Look, like, what did you guys want from this? I'll let Adam take it a second. Adam, I wanted creativity with the legends, right? It, you knew about the show for so long. You have an endless amount of characters backstage. Look, the poker scenes, they weren't funny. It didn't work. I disagree. You couldn't, like, you're telling me you couldn't write poor man's versions of Austin versus versus uh, McMahon like, like you just did? Reviving characters? I'm sorry. That whole Manhattan Center thing with Triple H and DX 
it, it was just was not good. It well, just well, looked but, bad. But, but what were you forced. expecting, though? Of course that's what it was going to be. Like, what were you expecting was going to happen? They script everything in WWE, and somehow that segment was not script and not fun and not funny at all. You're telling me that there's no one in there who can write a funny thing? Like, the, I'm sorry, Revival coming out was so predictable and getting buried and jobbed out. It was just like... They came out and did their catchphrases. What else was it going to be? That's, of course, what it was going to be. Like, I don't understand what you guys were expecting from that segment. The truth is that this show as a whole, if you could describe it in one word, for me it would be lame. And I think the biggest mistake that they made is they gave away the list of people who were showing up. If Chris Jericho showed up on that show and Sexual Chocolate showed up and The Godfather showed up and all these guys, the APA, and you didn't know that they were going to be there and the Road Dog and Scott Hall, whatever, it's major. It's awesome. But they gave you an entire list. All they needed to advertise was Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Undertaker, and Trish Stratus are all going to be there. And much plus, more. Yeah. Plus it's dozens easy. of legends. And had they done that, this show doesn't get, and we'll give our grades maybe, a, a C minus D, D plus. And Nick, I, I got to be honest, benefited from being able to DVR because Brian and I watched Austin McMahon, came down from that, and immediately watched a three-segment women's match that I will not let die because it was that bad. It was that terrible. And they chose not to go back to the Manhattan Center for 45 minutes, like Brian just said, in order to show that match. It's not just what they put on. It's what they put on in lieu of doing better things. The best parts of the entire night were where the old school characters either interacted with each other, the Godfather and Sexual Chocolate, I mentioned that, or with new talent, Chris Jericho and Elias, Mean Gene and AJ Styles, Charlotte and Ric Flair with Alexa Bliss. There's no reason they could not have written storylines throughout the show where that happened yeah. more often and even resulted in matches. You had GMs on the show. Bischoff could have made a match. You had women on the show. Trish could have gotten involved in something. It's not hard to do. We Remember could book it Coach easily. was backstage with Brother Love? By, and by that the segment way, was great, Coach, by the way. Coach was terrific. So why is that segment should have happened seven more times throughout the Wait, show? Well, here, it's that easy. Here's where I'll defend WWE as far as like the promotional stuff goes. You guys aren't wrong with what you're saying. Would it have been more effective for the viewer if they had constructed it like that, promoted Austin, The Undertaker, and then everyone else was a surprise? Probably. For the viewer, it would have been better. But WWE, as as much as it sucks to say it, it's the truth. They don't care, right? They don't care about the three of us that are watching it, the people that watch every week no matter what. Because no matter if they could have promoted nobody or they could have promoted everybody, we were going to be watching. Even if we weren't doing this podcast, we were going to watch it, right? I had friends back in New York who don't watch wrestling on a regular basis anymore that paid to go to Raw 25. So so they, who cares about that? Because you they, know what's Vincent right need... after that? You all bought it. You all bought it. He's not wrong. It was me, damn it. It was me all along. (laughs) But they wanted the mainstream coverage. That's what WWE was after. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that that's the perspective that they're coming from. Why wouldn't they deliver? I know this is essentially the debate we have all the time. I, I think it did deliver. That's, I'll tell you what didn't deliver. The one thing I hated. Didn't. Can I share it, this? Nick, it didn't deliver. It was lazy, it and it was it was so underwhelming. How, and it was booked to be underwhelming. Let's be honest. And look, it was booked to be underwhelming. How do you how do you allow that to play out like that and be okay with that? The one thing that I really didn't like on the show was the Bray Wyatt Matt Hardy match. Because A, it was boring, and B, it's like like Matt Hardy DOA dead on arrival. Or C, we've been building weeks. That's a pay per view match, and you put it at, you put it a five minute. Borderline squash match? Are you kidding so, me? I'm just upset about, like Matt Hardy's carrying. Like, it's, it's over. So, right? Nick, you're going to say this show was great, and now piece by piece you're telling us the areas where you admit it was wrong. It's like I didn't say it here, was great. I just didn't think it was awful. Here's what's crazy about that match. That match actually was done for nostalgic, relevant purposes because Matt Hardy, as a singles competitor, fought IRS, obviously Bray White's dad, 
in the Manhattan Center on an early Raw. But because they don't want to break kayfabe, they couldn't share that with the audience. And therefore, it had absolutely no nostalgic relevance for everyone. And by the way, I don't think this gets said enough, BC. As bad as the Manhattan – and Nick as well. I'm, I'm, used to you, I'm used to you not being here, uh, Nick. But in addition to the Manhattan Center booking not being good – J.R. and King not knowing the storylines, not being able to They're articulate bad. what The Undertaker meant after his extremely confusing promo. Well, it's like J.R. in New Japan. He doesn't, yeah, I mean, it's the same it thing. was just – it just brought it, – it made it even worse. Did and you guys like The Undertaker? That. Did you guys like The Undertaker I don't segment? think there's anything to like about that Undertaker segment. You didn't, you didn't tease that he's coming back from Mania. Good. You didn't do anything. Good. I liked and, it. And by the way, it's good because I don't want him at Mania. Yes. But I'm just saying – what did that accomplish? I would have. I w- it was. It was so bad. I would have been fine if he just said this. And the ultimate thrill ride will be your last ride. Come on, he's old. Let him get it out of his mouth. He's old. So okay. So I'm going to defend WWE again a little bit here. And again, I'm not saying that you guys are wrong because you're not. But from WWE's perspective, it makes it bigger if the Undertaker's there, right? So from their perspective, they don't care that us and other people are going to get on podcasts and get on TV and they're going to criticize what they did because they were trying to move tickets and get eyeballs on the product and Undertaker does that. Why I liked it is because I was dreading the Undertaker announcing he was going to be in the Royal Rumble. Yes. I was dreading the Undertaker setting up an angle for WrestleMania. It's the boy who cried wolf at this point. Like, how many times is he going to tease retirement before, like, it's actually it reaches the point where, like, we don't believe you, dude. You're going to be back next year. Like, that has to be his last match against Roman Reigns. It has to. It has to be. So I liked it from that perspective because we didn't get that moment that I feared. But the problem is we're liking something that was bad because it didn't give us something that was worse. It and that's it the spot bad. we end just, up in in WWE all the time. Did you we're not like, think it was well, cool to see him come out, though? Like, but that's the same defense of, like, well, at least Kane's not, you know, like Kane's in here, but at least he'll take the pin against Lesnar. Like, I hate that defense. It's like... Well, I didn't say that. Like, oh, my, you know, my dad hits me, but, you know, he makes a really good souffle. It's like, that just doesn't work, you know? <laughs> I gotta tell you, I don't think that many... You know, I'm just gonna leave that alone. I had a funny joke, but it's probably, it's probably not worth telling. Um... I didn't love – I mean, I liked what they did with Alexa Bliss, Charlotte, and Ric Flair because Rick was there, obviously. I don't know how good an idea it was to put Alexa right next to Charlotte, who's like a foot taller than yes. she is wearing heels, because it made Alexa feel like – In 1984, Alexa would have been standing on an end table for that shot. Correct. They would have, have, have built her as being six foot tall. But, and I don't want to come on here and be like, okay, I chose to have a negative opinion about the show, so I'll tell you everything that they did wrong. But – I think I'm really justified in saying that because, like, even to the point, why is AJ Styles on this Raw 25 broadcast for really no reason cutting a promo about well, it's not his no match reason. for it, the it, next it, night on SmackDown? Because they're promoting SmackDown. Like, you know the answers to but these it questions. it just doesn't make sense, Nick, when you it's have— It's wrestling. It's not supposed okay, to make sense but, all the time. All right. In light of the fact that you have 75 legends backstage, some of whom you have gave three seconds of time— you're telling me you can't be more creative in that spot? You're telling me you can't use one of those legends to put AJ Styles you guys, over better? You, got, like, you guys are unbelievable. Let me, ask you, let me ask you guys a question. Who do you think in the three-hour Raw got the most screen time total? Uh, Heath Slater. Correct. Heath or Slater. Or Tyus O'Neal or whatever. Like, it was, uh, they put so many mid-card people, but Nick. those were devices in, for those comedic segments. But they were it two, wasn't about Heath Slater. They were two-segment segments, though. They were, they were multiple commercial break like, segments. Heath Slater was not the star of those segments. It was everything that was going on. And the fact that Ted DiBiase was there and the legends were there. That's what – it wasn't about Heath Slater. Heath Slater was the foil for it, but Look, it was not about Heath Slater. Here's the truth with the entire thing. They had so much goodwill going into the episode. It did not need to be an A-plus episode to get an A+. They had us hooked. 
after, with the pictures showing the Manhattan Center, how great it looked with the Austin McMahon segment, Brian and I were t- uh, talking through DM while it was going on. This is going to be amazing. They had us and they completely lost us, starting with the women's match onto the rest of that show. So it's on them for the way they booked it. And Nick, I really feel like, I don't want to say it's a warped perception, but being able to, dev- to DVR and You're fast right. forward You're it. You're 100% it, right. I acknowledge it's different. that. Different. No doubt. There's no question about it. And because I, I'm essentially doing that now to SmackDown every week, by the way, and it's the only thing that's getting me through the show. No, like I, I tweeted, and look, you guys are, are right about that, and I'm not denying it. The fact that if I had to sit there and slog through three hours of it live, maybe I would have felt differently. But I can tell you that two of my best friends were at the Barclays Center. They were not at Manhattan Center. They were at the Barclays Center, and I, I actually texted them the next day, and I said, what did you think of it? Because I was expecting them to hate it. They both loved it. They both had a good time. So that leads me to believe that if I were there, I would have had a good time also because we generally like the same things. But again, it's very subjective. We say this all the time. Just because I would have liked it doesn't mean that you guys should like all it or right. if you're listening that you but would like it. Let's defend WWE here for a second though. Uh, there was a report from Justin Barrasso of Sports Illustrated about some of the backstage reasons why some things fell apart, right? You know, we're going to get into Enzo Amore in a second. They thought he was going to be the Heath Slater role opposite Goldust and eventually take the, the Dudley bomb through the table. You know, that was something that they had a scratch at the last minute. Jimmy Fallon reportedly got to the arena much later than they wanted. Apparently, he was supposed to be the host of that general manager segment, which would have been an actual segment. So there were certain reasons that they did have to scramble at the last minute. But even those set plans in stone, I don't think really would have improved it that much. You know, also, like, I don't remember where the structure, where Raw 1000 fell on the calendar in terms of, like, when was it during the year? Was it up against a pay-per-view? They can't fire all their bullets six days before the Royal Rumble, if that makes sense. Because I look, we got the show coming up right on Sunday, where there could be tons of surprises, especially in the women's Royal Rumble. And this was one of the points I was making: if the Royal Rumble is badass and knocks our socks off, no one's going to be talking about Raw 25. It fades into distant memory, and we're all locked into WrestleMania season. So, really, who the hell cares? I do want to say one thing. We had a thousand people that came in and actually voted in a poll to grade this show. So I want to give them a little credit. 52% said it was between an A and a C and 43% or so. uh, Sorry, 48%. I did that math terribly. Said it was a C minus or worse with 18% saying it was a D. I'm surprised it was split like that. I would have thought more people didn't like it based on the reaction. Um, Before I get out of here, I have a couple things for you guys. It's a little off script. Can can we talk about it? Yeah, let's do it. Um, Finn Balor. He's got it. He, wait, 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 wait. He's got it. Finn Balor's got it. Right, because they, they're finally yes! pushing him in the way it's they been, should. With Gallows been, and Anderson. It's been awesome with Finn Balor recently. And if you remember, I never said that like, like, like the, the man himself didn't have it. I said this iteration of the character didn't have it. Now he's got it. So I'm more than willing to, to eat some crow on that one. Wait, are we going to be here? Are we accepting that explanation? Uh, you know... Uh, did I, but I did say that. So, I'm Silver, so, so happy. Although I know, no, Silver King does the CSI thing. Whenever he's right about something six months ago, he does his investigating and goes and finds it. So, Silver King, you go back and you find anywhere where I said that Finn Balor was an indictment on his whole career. And I will eat literal crow if you can find that because I never said it. I'm just happy I'm just, that he's seeing the light here. I mean, let's be honest. I, yeah, no, no, I'm just making sure that BC agrees it's an acceptable, you know, come around on it. But I think it was the same thing. Your, your opinion on him was Vince's opinion. It was, well, they booked him poorly, so he didn't have it. Well, that's your fault. That's Vince's fault. That's the booking fault. It's not his fault as a character or his ability as a wrestler. I've enjoyed right. I've enjoyed Finn Balor recently. 
Of course you should, because he's, he's fantastic, and, and he's is, happy, and he's so happy because he's in something that matters that he wants to be in with the right people. How good has Jason Jordan been? So great, so great. I, I he, was, put a, he was phenomenal. I want to put a ball on Raw 25. We did get a bonus DM slide from our good friend Blake Molina, at Blakemo underscore. And I want to make sure we, we, we do a little Elias also before oh, we, before damn we, right. before we get he says, Blake says, we can rightfully be critical of Raw 25, but can we be surprised, question mark, which falls into Nick's line of thinking. Anyone who didn't think this was going to be an overbooked, overhyped, and underdelivered Raw was deluding themselves. If you three were booking the damn territory, what's one thing, and Blake says keyword being one, that we would have done differently. Nick, what would you have done differently to make Raw 25 a success so that Adam and I aren't sitting here whining about it? I don't know that I would have done anything differently. I don't know that, like, 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 and this is, I keep coming back to it. What did you guys expect? Like, what did you want? Like, all those moments where it's like, it's like we're saying, like, oh, like, well, they should have done this and it would have been better. I thought the stuff was, like, when they came out and introduced the general manager, it's like, oh, you want Eric Bischoff to make a match? Okay, fine. Like, great. I like just seeing them there. Like that was good enough for me. Like I enjoyed that. I think to answer your question, you want that you want to feel like they tried their best. And that's my problem. They did not even If they go out there and the best. Royal Rumble's really good, who cares what happened because to Because this 25? isn't the Royal Rumble. This is an anniversary celebration episode, the kind that should have been one that I can go back and look at years from now. They gave and now you I won't. they gave you a five star Ten out of ten Hall of Fame segment to start off, and you guys are still complaining. It's it's you were expect. Think about this. What do I always say? If you can go through a major show and you get hit in the feel spot like one or two times, they've done their job because it's difficult because we're jaded and we're old at this no, point. It's not that that didn't hit you. In, you were expecting three hours of under juice poured all here's, over you, Brian. Here, I mean, what were you expecting? Here's what it was. They built it into the greatest show of all time. No, you and fell for it. it and instead, no, that's how they built it. That's how they advertised it and promoted it. Was it was never going to happen. You know and that. They, and what they delivered was an old school Raw. I'll give you my answer seen a million times. on what they should have done differently, okay? They shouldn't have combined the two episodes, Go Home and Celebration. And there was no reason to because the anniversary of 25 Years of Raw is January 11th, 1993. They did this episode on January 22nd. Probably more for travel and arrangement reasons since the Royal Rumble's in Philly well, on, on well, Sunday. Can I give you my so, take? Yeah, that's, that's actually so true. Here's that's the, true. So this should have been have a separate thought. episode last week. Maybe even separate from Raw, you can argue that. But if not... It should have been a separate episode, and at the very least of the three-hour broadcast, and this is something Adam sort of was kind of predicting beforehand, maybe one hour straight should have been from the Manhattan Center and should have been all legends and should have been activating your field spot rather than haphazardly going back and forth and not serving both. Silver King, just I'll give it to you one sec, but my, my one retort to that would be in terms of the placement of the show. I, I feel like they did it correctly, the go-home before the Rumble, because – they can't do it in the middle of the Rumble build, right? They have to build the Rumble. So they did their entire Rumble build. They have the punctuation with Braun putting Lesnar through the table like they did it when we were there at SummerSlam, right, at Barclays Center. So they had to do that first and then do this, right, because all the build's already done at that point. So that's why Fair. I think they chose to do it the sun for the go-home edition. I'll tell you one other thing. Uh, the Kane, Braun Strowman, Lesnar thing should have been in the middle of the show. And the Miz and Roman Reigns should have been the main event at the end of the show. I don't know why WWE refuses to put its main events in the main event anymore on Raw. It doesn't make any sense. Because yeah, they, they probably they feel like Brock Lesnar is the main event. That's why. I mean, look, I, I would have rather seen it done that way. I'm with you. But they, but Brock's their guy. So Brock but goes man, on that last. was an awful last segment. To, to just get Kane out of there in two seconds and bring out those legends who I, played I, I, zero part. I loved getting Kane out of there Right, in two but seconds. the point is, you committed to putting him in the storyline. And we'll get to this when we preview the match. But use him then. And then to bring out all those legends and do nothing with him. I'm just saying, that, was, that last segment was an example of how it was just lazy and mailed in and failed. Nick, before we get you out of here because we don't have a lot of time with you. Yes. 
what else did you want to talk about? And we definitely want to get your thoughts on the Rumble. This um, week, so. I loved Elias. I thought he was sensational. And like I've said on the show before, like if he stay, you know, keeps his nose clean, stays on the straight and narrow, he'll have a job for twenty for the rest of his life. And when you say WWE. nose clean, you eat booger sugar or no? Um, yeah, maybe something, maybe something a little different as, as far as it's concerned. But he was great. He's a heat-seeking missile. He's tremendous. Wherever he goes, the heat follows. Now, I don't necessarily love the fact that he's going to job to John Cena, which is which. Well, although, okay, do, do you think? They built because you combine this with the match these two had on Christmas night on Raw. Yeah. Do you think this tells us these two guys are feuding at Mania? I no. think this tells us that Samoa Joe got hurt and they needed someone to feud with Cena. That that was my initial take on it. Now he's gonna lose because that's what happens, and I don't. I'm not sure that's even a bad thing because no, right? Because he's being elevated just by being in the ring with Cena. It's all about getting the rub. Just like Nick, uh, you know, uh, when he's looking to swipe, it's all about getting the rub. Got to get know? the rub. Got to get the rub. Come on. It's all about so I thought Elias was terrific, and Jericho was great, right? And it was especially cool. How he was, but that's a waste of Jericho on they, Raw 25. They, they let him wear the Alpha Club shirt. Fantastic. So that's the balls on Jericho, okay? That's the that's like. Well, that's not ball. There's but like they he had to get a. There's no way he just like like all of a sudden left and then right before the segment came out in the shirt and didn't tell them about it. There's no chance that happens. How do you not use him more though, considering how hot he is? Don't you want to take advantage of how no, hot he is? No, I right think now? it's the other way. I think that they wanted to have him on there just to say that they did and then have that be it. Wait, I, wait, I didn't, when I you didn't, say I, you I mean have it be it. I really didn't mean it like that. They also did they also did a four minute interview again with him on Twitter. That was really good. He just makes fun of the backstage announcers and stuff. But they utilized him and Austin in these great interviews that just weren't on TV. All right, Nick, to close you out here, we, we're, Adam and I are going to give our detailed thoughts on the Rumble. You've been a little bit in and out of the product, but you'll be watching the Rumble on Sunday Hell night. Yeah. Who's your pick? Who do you want to win? Who should win? What do you got for us? All right, this is sort of how I envision it going in my head. And there's probably a 0.000, maybe 1% chance that it happens. In the SmackDown Championship match, I would like for Shane McMahon to screw Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. So AJ Styles retains the championship. Daniel Bryan's pissed off. Daniel Bryan then, or, or for AJ to maybe even turn heel with the corporate Shane McMahon. However the hell it happens. I don't even care how it happens, one versus the other. And then Daniel Bryan to enter and win the Royal Rumble and challenge AJ Styles in the main event of WrestleMania. I realize it's probably not going to happen. It's fantasy booking at its most fantastical. Is that a word? I don't know, sure. but my feel house is invaded right now. Right. I mean, me? I mean, so I would like for that. That's I am not interested in seeing Nakamura win the Rumble. I'm not interested in seeing Randy Orton win the Rumble. I'm not interested in seeing Roman Reigns win the Rumble. Or how about Sheamus for the here. seventh time? Are you interested in Sheamus? Not interested. I love Sheamus in the Bard. No interest in seeing Sheamus in the main events of WrestleMania. Give me a payoff to this month-long storyline, months-long storyline on SmackDown that has kept us all intrigued and kept us all very curious as to what the payoff will be. With Daniel Bryan returning to the ring, winning the Royal Rumble, roof blows off the pace, off the place. Um, face Daniel Bryan versus heel AJ Styles with Shane McMahon in his corner ah, at WrestleMania. Take that revolution, right? Take that. That would be. That's what I would like to have. And what I'd really like to have would be to Kenny Omega to come out and win the Royal Rumble. But I mean that 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 is the highest of high fantasy. We know where we can find Nick, especially our female listeners. You can find him on uh, Instagram and Twitter, and slide into those DMs, ladies. Oh man, that's fantastic. At the Costos, Nick. Any any final message for our for our listeners? You know, dear listeners. Um, you know, I'll be back soon. Absolutely love it. Um, I loved, by the way, Silver King. The introduction that you did, like the fall introduction that I usually do to the show, I thought was absolutely. Absolutely classic. Uh, I want to give some props to the Silver King, who, in my absence, dude, you're doing a tremendous job. Um, Thank you, sir. I think Silver King's awesome. 
and I think you guys have been holding it down and doing great. Um, I appreciate all the comments from the listeners asking when I'm going to be back, um, hopefully soon. But I got to tell you, these two guys here are super talented. They're doing an outstanding job. So even when I'm not here, obviously you will keep listening to the show. But keep listening, keep enjoying, and I'll be back when I'm back. Is Silver King replacing you for a while? Is it akin to Leaf Cassidy and the new Rockers, Al Snow? <laughs> so I'm, so I would be, I'm Michaels, and he's he would be Leaf Cassidy, or who is he? Does that, that make point? me Jannetty? I don't know if I like where this is going. No, you guys, Silver King's way over Leaf Cassidy at this point. Silver King's oh, a, a Hall of Famer at this point. There we go. Even though he's got I'll food in his it. goatee. It's a well-manicured goatee. I think you're just jealous that you can't grow hair like me. That's all. Please. I'm Mediterranean, bro. If I didn't shave for two days, I'd have a bigger beard than you do. The Greek the Greek is here. The Greek is leaving. Nick, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thanks, dude. Glad you came. Yes. Adam, with the Greek, left us behind. We still have more main event to get to. Number two this week, coming from that Raw 25 episode, we teased it earlier. We did see The Miz defeat Roman Reigns to win the Intercontinental Championship and begin his eighth reign. Adam, I like this match. I like the way it was booked. I thought it started slow, but it just kept getting better. And then the finish with the exposed turnbuckle. I thought this was really one of the high points of this rather disappointing Raw 25. But it does start to open up a whole new set of questions about how we get to Mania. It's not that we don't still think Reigns is going to fight Lesnar, right? But this does sort of tease... Does Roman now losing the IC belt here mean he could win the Rumble? I don't want to give away our predictions there, but did you get sort of some of those feelings after watching this? So, yeah, it was more, more of like a foreboding. It was, it was, oh, man, wait, is this is this how it's going to happen? Like all, all this stuff that we tried to avoid, is that really what's going to go down? I don't want to necessarily get there yet, though, if I can change our direction. I really want to talk about the decision first and, and how it transpired. I thought it was booked perfectly. Um, I think you needed to have the Miz win it back. The title did its job with Reigns. It allowed Miz to take a break, simultaneously propped Roman up as the main guy on the show because, as I say all the time, you know, Brock Lesnar is an absent champion and shouldn't even really be in his position anymore on WWE. Um, so I think it served every master that it needed to. Uh, it was done successfully. It was executed extremely well with the middle turnbuckle being exposed and, you know, him getting the pin there. So I was, I'm all for it completely. You know, are you on the same page as me? Oh, yeah, and I think your point about that should have been the main event was right on, although you know, WWE keeps going back to the well that that 9 to 10 hour is really their peak of where, where they feel like they're going to get the most viewers. You know, that was main event worthy. You'd been building it for a long time. That should have been. But as much as we have Reigns questions that we'll get to later in the show, it does sort of spin forward of what The Miz now will do as we head into WrestleMania. I, of course, love that they put the title back on him because obviously he's so deserving, and if he cannot be in a major title feud, you might as well let him keep giving that classic belt, the IC title, which I love it in white, and I always will love it in white, the prestige that it deserves. They really haven't teased, unless we're going Daniel Bryan here, right? Unless Daniel Bryan's coming back in the Rumble and doesn't win it and we're spinning off into into a Miz feud. And the reason you say that, of course, was at Raw 25, after they announced the GMs, when Miz came out for the beginning of his match, and there was a feel-spot-worthy moment when he got in, in, in DBs in the Miz, got in each other's face. Unless we're going there in some dream-booking scenario, I don't know where we're going next, Adam, and I'm excited about that. By the way, we, we answered a DM last week. What's, what are the dream matches still remaining in WWE? I'll be honest with you. Number one match I want to see outside of, like, Daniel Bryan, AJ Styles. Like, let's get, you know, with the obvious ones, Daniel Bryan, Miz. They've been building this for two, for two years. 
Now, a lot of it was not done purposefully, obviously with the Mrs. Promo, first promo, I'm talking smack, and then everything that's built from there. But the only story they have continued to tell consistently for an extended period of time right now is that storyline. And the fact that it may actually not get a payoff is really potentially disappointing, but I hope that it does because if they can get Daniel Bryan back in the ring, there's so much they can do with him over the next, let's say, two years that he could have an incredible run and really put a stamp on his career and then finish and, and literally and just retire course, at that point. And they have that history. They have that history of, of you know, going back to what? The original NXT and coaching each other was up there? The Miz was the coach? He was of- his, yeah, he was his coach. And then they turned on each other and blah, blah, blah. Um, but, I mean, the fact that he uses his moves now and they're called the it kicks. And there's just so much legitimate storyline on screen, a little bit off screen as well. It's just really fantastic. And they're teasing Outside. the bag constantly, though, Adam. And you know what happens if you tease the bag? I mean, you're going to get the mess. And I think I hope that that's a you know a, a fantastic you know. Do you, where do you think Miz goes from here? Because let, you know Brian is on the blue brand. So let's make the assumption that if he does wrestle for some reason, it's going to be involved in this AJ Styles Shane McMahon type of situation. For me, I want to see the Miz Finn Balor for the IC title at WrestleMania. That you know, there's a lot of ways they can go. That would be. That's probably the top of the list. I was going to offer that if Jason Jordan and Seth Rollins are not in business together heading into WrestleMania, if Jason oh, Jordan yeah. is more focused on the Kurt Angle potential storyline there, then Seth Rollins, The Miz, is fantastic. But obviously Finn Balor fills those same shoes perfectly, and if you could let that Balor club go off as a babyface now, I know they flirted back and forth, but that could be really fantastic. But I mean, really, Rollins is a bit more prestigious character in this. I didn't really think of that. That's a really good point. What you could also do if you could work at Storyline, and they have plenty of time, BC, um, you could work into a triple threat match between those three, maybe even a ladder match, and you have something that is a massive match that you know people would really, really drop that milk of Marknesia for in order to go watch. So we talked about Miz. Thank you for indulging me there. Let's move on to Roman Reigns' part of it, right? Do you see... Him And we'll get into the predictions later. But do you think that he lost his title in part to free up him winning the Royal Rumble or to at least set a different angle in motion with yes. him that he couldn't be in if he still had the Intercontinental Yes, fight? they wanted to get that. You know, because, look, this this could have easily been consummated Sunday night, right? They could have had a Miz-Roman Reigns title match that they announced this week. Instead, they said, let's fast forward. Let's, let's get this out of the way now. It'll be a big part of our Raw 25 episode. In the end, I'm happy with that because I want Sunday night's card to not go eight hours. And I want the two Rumble matches to really be the highlight where we don't need to roll out a 20-minute match between these two. So, yes, if you're going to start Roman versus Brock Lesnar feud, which you assume is going to be started in some form on Sunday, doesn't have to be, by the way, right? You still have some time. You still have an Elimination Chamber pay-per-view in between where if Roman Reigns doesn't win the Rumble, you assume, what, is he going to win the championship night? You know, something in that, in that ballpark is going to happen. But this was the right move overall. No question about it. I just don't think you can go back to the well. And again, we'll talk about it later. And have him win the Rumble again exactly two years later in Philadelphia. I just don't see how it's possible. So well, don't you tease what, the bag. Let's get out of here before we get okay, the mess. I'm sorry. The, the, the third part of our main event this week is My some fault. some not not great news here. Enzo Amore released by WWE amid an investigation by Arizona police over a rape allegation dating back to October. Now Enzo has followed up and released a statement through his lawyer 
unequivocally denying the charges. But the timing here was interesting, as Justin Barrasso of SI reported that we touched on earlier. You know, Enzo came to the Raw 25 broadcast expecting to work, and that's when Vince McMahon personally sent him home. Adam, they did not even wait here for an arrest like we've seen in the past, and we know they have a zero-tolerance policy, although... You know, Rich Swan is currently suspended for something in that category, but not fired. The fact that he was fired before we got the details was very interesting and really jumped off the page. And then you hear further reports that he never told WWE about the about this investigation going back to October. When you add that up, this felt like a final straw situation. Yeah, I mean, at some point, there's diminishing returns when it comes to someone like that. And they probably already reached that point. Um you know, once the really once Neville left um, at that point, and this guy's driving people away, and he's not just ruining the main roster, but kind of ruining the cruiserweight roster, the 205 roster. It was the beginning of the end, in my opinion, for him. But here's the truth: they gave this guy a million chances, and you really should only get two, maybe three. Um, they gave him a million chances. He didn't seemingly improve his off-TV character in terms of. The TMZ video, which wasn't a bad video. When by you say off, means. you mean the character of his person, essentially, his not yeah, character, his character. character. No, his him as a human being. Um, you know, at some point they said to him, "Look, you got to." They had to have said to him, "You got to change X, Y, and Z if you want to not just be in this company, but be a champion, be back on the main roster." All right, no doubt, he didn't change any of that. If you saw the interview with Corey Graves, I was. Like, so that's I what I'm going to reference to right now. Yeah. That straight to the source interview on the WWE Network, which I'm not sure that they've kept up. I do want to check it out. Anyone that can have a chance to find this, I want to talk about it last week. It obviously makes much more sense now in light of this news, Adam. That was one of two things. That was either a masterful acting performance from Enzo Amore in a show that we assumed is more shoot than anything else, based on that episode with Roman Reigns, or that was. Enzo being an absolute jerk for an entertaining 25 minutes where he was going at Corey Graves, where he was going at Cass for pulling up lame due to injury from that Raw match. And I, I came out of there, Adam, believing that that's who Eric Arndt, a.k.a. Enzo Amore, Amore, really is as a person. Yeah, I thought it was I think I always think those are 50 50 shoot work, you know, just it really depends on the person, the angle, etc. He came off like an a-hole in that interview. Like a and I don't royal mean, a-hole, like an all-time yeah. a-hole. Yeah, and I don't mean an a-hole like just someone who is acting that way or might be a little bit of a jerk. He came off like an a-hole. And honestly, then this is a net gain for the WWE. Like, sure, okay, you're not going to make as much money on the T-shirts, and you're going to lose his presence and the theme, which is actually – I like that theme and the catchphrases. I mean, oh, that was pretty cool. It was a nice character that they had created. But, man, if you can't keep your nose clean – and you decide, again, allegedly, that you're going to hit or possibly rape a woman, I mean, you're doing this to yourself. You deserve to be fired. You deserve to be shunned from society. And if the reporting is correct and he walked in and Vince screamed at him in his voice, get out, you know, that, that normal thing that, that he does, um, good. Like, I'm glad he did that and really let people be known in a public setting, you know, the way – he wants to deal with things like this. I'm yeah. glad, I don't want to say I'm glad someone loses their job, no. but if any of this is true, I'm glad he was fired. Right. I don't ever want to see him again. He was just out of chances at the end. You know, he'd been thrown out of the locker room. All those reports of, you know, being a guy who brought outsiders into the locker room, which is, which is a no-no for, you know, in, inside of WWE culture. Adam, this, the obvious spinoff questions here is 
what happens next to the cruiserweight division? Because they had a lot invested in Enzo Amore. He was the champion, right? So on screen, they opened 205 Live on Tuesday night with Daniel Bryan coming out, giving a really kind of awkward, prompter, red type of uh, announcement where he said Amore abdicated the belt and that a new 205 Live GM would be named next week to address the situation. So here's what's really interesting. We, you and I talk a lot on the show how we would fix the cruiserweight division, what needs to be done. They obviously went in a whole new direction putting the belt on Enzo and allowing him to verbally tear down all of these you know, athletic cruiserweights and then cheat to win in a lot of matches. This situation, though, you know, which, which coincides with the influx of new talent we, we have uh, into the division and potentially more with the signing of Ricochet, does allow them to clean the slate and change the direction of the show if they really wanted to. And I've been talking a lot, Adam, about this division and this show will never be saved unless you go back to the spirit of the Cruiserweight Classic from 2016, which spawned the idea for this show. There's no time better than now, right now, to bring back a tournament and crown a new champion. And you can allow the tournament to play out on 205 Live over the next amount of weeks, but there's no better time than right now to just wipe clean the memory of this uh, of the Enzo era during here and actually allow this division to be as good as it could be. Yeah, I mean that's really the key answer. That's exactly what they need to do. If not that, end it. Get a, get a, cancel the show, end the division, integrate these guys into the roster, make a couple of them a tag team and let's just have some fun with some really good wrestling in the middle of, you know, Raw and SmackDown. Like they don't it doesn't have to be Raw exclusive, doesn't have to have their own show. Um I think they need an influx of talent in the division. That's not to say there's not good people there. There are, but you got to get some fresh faces. You just lost the guy that you centered the entire thing around in Neville. He quit on you, and then you fired the guy you replaced him with, Enzo Amore. Like, you know how much I love Cedric Alexander, and if you want to cue up that theme music, I'll take it any time right now. But in the dark, I feel at home. In the dark, the cruiserweight division is right now, and that's just the truth. If only I was – You can't find it. No, I I got it, but if only I was quick enough. In the dark, I feel at home. I mean, it's his time. It's his time, and I can go four minutes on that song if I really had to, but – I just don't want to see them come back and act like nothing's changed and we just crown a new champion. And I will say this about Enzo. He really had a Cinderella-like run to be in this spot, right? He was a guy who always could talk his way into any situation. And, you know, without really being a great wrestler, look how far he went, becoming one of their most marketable guys. But look how far and fast he will fall now. And that's sort of the the name of the game here. And by the way, before we move on, um, certainly – Big Cass is in trouble. I mean, he needs to come back with a complete – he needs to A, go back to NXT. And we talk, to, we talk about this with everyone. Just because they debuted on the main roster doesn't mean they have to stay there. He needs to go back to NXT, either get himself a new tag team partner or get himself a new gimmick. And when he comes back, be a completely different person because there is no way he will be accepted as himself without Enzo to play off on the main roster with this guy fired. And it was already bad to begin with, and it would be even worse with him. You're right. Cass got chances that he physically didn't even deserve because Enzo could talk so good. So that's a good point. And Dave Meltzer did report a couple weeks ago that the Cass-Carmella super couple is no more. So a lot of changes coming up in the life of big Cass. But Adam, in lieu of Hero or Zero this week, we want to bring back an oldie but goodie, which is apropos before we get into the 2018 Royal Rumble preview. We want to talk about a Royal Rumble of old. And in in really, my favorite segment, a lot of the fans out there, favorite segment, Pay-Per-View Rewind. Adam, 2015 
from Philadelphia, the Royal Rumble match. Not the whole card, so we will not be getting into that really good triple threat that time has forgot. Do you remember that match, Adam? That match for the WWE Championship between, uh, what was that, Lesnar, Seth Rollins, the match that time mm. forgot and Brian Campbell forgot, and John Cena, I believe it was, that mm-hmm. really nobody talks about anymore and was fantastic. We instead are going to talk about the Royal Rumble match. I got a lot of notes. I know you have a lot of notes, too. I was struck on a macro level by two things. Even separate from the booing and the Roman Reigns, which is we're going to get into a lot in a second, this is a really bad Royal Rumble that lacked fireworks, that lacked giant reveals that really lacked that stretch in the middle where nothing was happening in this match. And I know it had the soundtrack of the booing based on the Daniel Bryan, Roman Reigns situation, but this was a bad Royal rumble match. And number two, the parallels right now between that match and today's WWE are frightening when you consider the, the position Roman Reigns was in on the verge of a WrestleMania feud against Brock Lesnar and the position Daniel Bryan was in where he had not been an active WWE wrestler since May of 2014, the previous year, when he got hurt after winning the title at WrestleMania 30. And this was his big comeback moment, just like this Sunday night could be his big comeback moment. What were your sort of takeaways from... Uh, you know, as a whole, looking looking at this. Literally four words, worse than I remember. And I remembered it being maybe my least favorite Royal Rumble of all time, and it was worse than that. The order of entrance, the surprises, they had two really, really big ones. I mean, I guess Daniel Bryan, three. We can say three. But Dudley, Bubba Ray Dudley was in there. DDP showed up in the Rumble. Those are three solid surprises in what should be a very good Royal Rumble. Instead... You just have a, a piece of crap. I mean, the way it was booked, the way the entrance, like I said, the order of entrance, the way the finish went down, not just the end person, the final elimination, but the final like 10 minutes of that match, it was extremely bad. Let's run through a couple of things as we go through. Okay. There's Michael Cole, JBL, and Jerry the King Lawler on the commentary. Um, early on, I kind of, it's funny how much can change in three years because rewatching this, I popped for the fact that in 2015, our truth was still getting the full rap song entrance when he came yep. in at number two to fight the Miz. Like that feels like 15 years ago that he came in and doing the whoop. There it is stuff. Like I kind of popped for that. You mentioned the Dudley boy comeback, Bubba Dudley coming in at number three. I hadn't been there in 10 years. That's something that I forgot about. And for him to team up with truth and do the whole was up segment and the truth, get the tables. Good early pop there. By the way. So this guy right now, even though he is does seem to be in the middle of a push, really can't get any love from WWE. Do you know who had the fourth biggest crowd reaction of that entire rumble? Dolph Ziggler. The fans went insane for him when he got announced. That guy is fire. It just it boggles my mind that he's not in the main event picture. That match told me why. And what's incredible now is you look back on this exactly two years – or actually three years later. The New Day is incredibly over they've won six tag team titles or or however many they're selling shirts they're tossing pancakes they have their own cereal people used to flip out and love kofi kingston when they introduced him with that new day gimmick we're talking back in the blue and white trunks like the old school when they were first introduced when they were like preachers right they come out to yeah. like the yeah you could hear a pin drop there was zero reaction there was they weren't even booing him they didn't hate him they were supposed to be heels they didn't hate him they just didn't care and that just goes to show you what booking, how much booking actually matters. Yeah. When you have a guy like Dolph Ziggler completely over in that match, 
and his book to not do much. And a guy like Kofi Kingston, who was completely nothing and then made something of himself two years later. We can't, like we sped over really realizing how incredible the New Day's transformation from like lame team thrown together really was. I was at the SmackDown two nights after this Royal Rumble. And I'm telling you this offline, like people as a joke were yelling out New Day and other people in the crowd were like, shut the F up. Like it was really that bad. Like people just hated this. I also noticed the Miz coming out at number one. He didn't get cheered. He didn't get booed. He got nothing. You remember, this is one year before his renaissance return when he rejoined with Maurice. He was really in a spot where the fans just didn't care outside of, you know, laughing in those Mizdow segments. And there was a good one in this match. He was really just fans didn't care. And you forget that now. And it shows you how fast and, and, and good his return was to really turn that around. Two years, because don't forget, it's 20, this is 2018, and I did the same thing earlier when I was thinking about it. Um, it's actually, that's a, that was three years ago. That was the 15 Royal Rumble, so there is a good gap in time there. But it just goes to show you how many people are no longer in WWE, how many people's gimmicks have completely changed, how many are completely the same. Bray Wyatt was in the ring solo in that cane spot for a long, long time, and, and deservedly so. He looked really good. Meanwhile, the guy's exactly the same as he ever was. They've done no character development, and... You know, you could give him that same rub this year and it would be believable because he's a big guy and he's capable. But you also couldn't see him winning the Royal Rumble, which you definitely could have last year. Um, and you're talking about just 12 months there. And that was a weird time where the Wyatt family was broken up for no reason, just like they constantly are like right now. And it didn't make sense then when he had those spots with the, with the Wyatts in and Rowan turned on Harper and it just didn't make sense. I did like for the nostalgic boogeyman pop and the comment of – Eater of Worlds versus Eater of Worms. I look in, in hindsight. I did, you know, I did yeah. uh, that when they try to freak each other out with the foaming mouth against the spider crawl. Couple good moments here, but look, they were early and they didn't continue, which is really our overall problem here. For the for the shine, Bray got it. Really didn't turn into any kind of push. So it's really ain't nothing changed in three years, Adam. Right? Can we talk about the crap part of it now? Can we talk about Roman Reigns? Well, you can't talk Let's about Roman it. Reigns, Adam, without talking about Daniel Bryan. So the, where this okay. Royal Rumble starts to take a bad turn is at number 10. You really have to remind yourself he had not been in a WWE ring in wrestling since the, the prior May. So to not know, you know he's about to come back at this time. You don't know exactly when. When he comes out at number 10, the pop is massive. He is so damn over on every move that he does, right? Eliminates Wyatt right away. It goes on this run. You really have to remember what the fans' expectations were at this card. They had finally seen Brian climb the mountaintop the year before after going through the longest troll booking of all time. Then he gets hurt. Then he disappears. And he comes back at number 10 only to get eliminated at number 15. And that's when the whole match changed. That's when that's the true. crowd did the math. And that's when the, the booing started. And they booed Goldust's entire run at number 16. They started chanting Daniel Bryan. They booed through Kofi at number 17. They booed through basically everyone and where WWE did not do itself any favors in here is that stretch from like 18 to 25 Adam was basically like Jack Swagger or an equivalent to Jack Swagger like Titus O'Neil and, and another mid-card guy one after another no fun moments no fun pops a lot of laying down in the ring that's right they ruined all the surprises and they thought that introducing Big Show and Kane would get them the pops and of course just like now in 2018 three years later no one cares about Big Show and Kane, they're old, they're slow, and, and they don't really matter in terms of like you know they're not going to win. But you're right. Not just introducing Daniel Bryan early and save, you could have saved that pop for later. Not just doing that, 
but eliminating him so quickly when the crowd I, – I don't remember what the landscape was in terms of dirt sheet-wise at the time. If like let's say Meltzer had reported he was returning in the Rumble, maybe maybe he had. And if that was the case, the expectations are this guy's either going to win or be part of an extremely fun finish that sets up a massive angle. And for neither to even come close to happening, you're right. It was a downer that was impossible to recover from. But in my opinion, BC, they made it worse. They certainly did. So Roman comes out at number 19. He gets a mixed reaction and then gets hardcore booed when he beats up the Rhodes boys, Goldust in, in, in Stardust. This is the moment where the frustration for Brian, like this was the transaction, right? So Reigns comes out mixed reaction because a lot of the smart fans are going, wait, we're not getting Brian to win this? Remember, he just achieved the mountaintop and had it taken away from him and then sat out for basically nine months. So when they realized that, they physically transferred their hatred and frustration for Vince McMahon and WWE booking onto Roman Reigns at that moment. The moment that he beat up the Rhodes boys and eliminated them was actually the physical transaction, and Reigns was given a stigma of booze that he still to this day never recovered from. And I did a little bit of research. The last pay-per-view that Reigns had appeared in before this was two, was a month earlier at the TLC December 2014. Reigns hadn't been on television since the, since October because he got injured. So he came back and makes his return by running in during a John Cena-Seth Rollins match. Big Show comes in as an authority member and beats down Cena. Reigns makes the save and gets a ridiculous pop. Adam, one month earlier, Reigns coming back from injury, saving John Cena, gets a ridiculous pop. Beloved and so over. You hadn't seen him, I'm sorry, since September, since Night of Champions. He was voted the 2014 Superstar of the Year by the fans and got the Slammy Award. No one's hotter entering this night in Philadelphia than Roman Reigns to the idea of this wrestler has next. So the same thing that Vince McMahon felt that night, the fans also felt until (laughs) they saw their guy, Daniel Bryan, get screwed. So it's like this Roman Reigns getting booed was never a Roman Reigns thing, okay? Never. It was never never a Philadelphia thing. I know Philadelphia booed Santa Claus, and we always make that reference, and it's a tough crowd. It's really not. It's it's a Daniel Bryan thing, but even more, it's a fans cannot handle screwjob booking or trolling booking or predictable booking or John Cena-type booking. And we've always made it different things. This is really what it is, and go back and watch this. You see the transaction happen before your eyes. This is how bad it was. So not only did everything that you just talked about transpire, with the final five wrestlers in the Royal Rumble in the ring, and I forget who, you know, four and five were off the top of my head right now, but it was obvious. There was no question whatsoever that Roman Reigns was winning because none of those other people would have been legitimate winners. We're not talking about Randy Orton, Dean Ambrose. We're not talking about anyone. Ambrose was the last hope. He was the last hope. He was the last hope. But even someone like, again, he wasn't in WWE, but let's do a 2018 equivalent, Baron Corbin. Like you could see at least because he did win Money in the Bank, you could see a Baron Corbin type guy winning that match and getting a major push. There was no one like that left. From the second that final five existed, it was continuous booze from there till the end of the match because it was obvious. It it was just – there was no other possible way that the match would end without Roman Reigns winning. Yes. And not only did they do that, and I'm, I'm going to go on a little bit here. Not only did they do that, they then went to a final three of Roman Reigns, The Big Show, and Kane. And that's even <laughs> more obvious that he's the only one that's going to win. And then what do they do? They allow him to eliminate both of them 
simultaneously as like he's the big dog and he's the strongest guy and he can do anything. Then I think they ring the bell and declare the match over. Then they have Rusev show up, like like the announcers, the timekeeper. No one knew that he hadn't been eliminated yet. Then Roman gets another pop, not not pop. They're supposed to put him over again because he then is able to eliminate Rusev in a surprise attack as if that was not bad enough. They try to salvage the entire thing, which they didn't probably think needed to be salvaged at the time because they booked this before the crowd turned by having The Rock come out, save Roman Reigns from an attack, and then raise his arm like, this is the guy. He's the man now. He's the big dog. You know, he's, he's been anointed as the next one. Every single possible thing they did was insulting to any type of smart fan, and it was booked absolutely atrociously. Well, so first of all, I had forgotten about that Rusev thing. So to relive it in real time, I actually popped for it. And that's great booking, by the way, to ring the bell and we all forget about Rusev and he comes back. And like you said, it still didn't work because you go back to that wound. And do you know what that wound of Brian coming in at 10 and getting eliminated at 15 told the fans like deep inside? It told them that Vince had moved on. When it was the fans who got Daniel Bryan to the top of the mountain at WrestleMania 30, this showed them that whether it came down to not being able to trust him due to injury or whatever, that they had moved on. It was right in their face. They, could, they couldn't, you know, and it's, it sucks here because all those things I mentioned, Roman doesn't suck. Roman's never sucked, right? Uh, he got better on the mic over the last few years, but he's always been amazing and looked the part. But he's the physical incarnation of what we don't like about Vince's booking. And right. for them to go to that length... And right in The Rock coming to save him, which is really not bad booking, obviously. Rusev coming in at the last minute to, to potentially, you know, blow up the situation, not bad booking. But the fact that they dug so deep in inflicting that wound, the fact that three years later, Adam, we're potentially back in the same spot we were to fix what they tried to do then. So because I just laid out to you how over Roman actually was entering that match, what would have happened had they not gone that way. Now, in another scenario where they don't break your hearts with Daniel Bryan, let's say Daniel Bryan comes in, gives a big pop, but then he stays in the whole match until late, and they somehow creatively get him out of there in a way that's not as blatant in your face. Like, fans are led to believe for the final half hour of the match that Bryan could win, right? So they won't be as mad. It's not like he, you know, like getting eliminated at number 15 like he did. Would we not be in the spot that we are now? Would we have accepted Roman winning that Rumble? And then would they have booked him over Lesnar at 31 like they probably originally wanted to do? But maybe just maybe the booze that followed forced their hand into booking Rollins into cashing the money in the bank. Would we be where they might be at the end of WrestleMania 34 this year when, when Roman pins Brock Lesnar clean? And if the match is good, we might stand up and clap and say, hey, WWE, this past calendar year, you fixed Roman Reigns, right? You put him in the shield. You had him feud John Cena, and it was amazing. He proved he can do it on the mic. He proved he can do it in our hearts. He's a great worker. Everything's great. You did it. Would we have been there in 2015 if they hadn't done this with Daniel Bryan? True or false? So in terms of Roman's ability, I don't think he would have been necessarily – as accepted as he is now, and and I still think it's like 70-30, cheers, boozer, even 65-35. He's not completely over as the all-encompassing face that WWE wants him to be. Um, so you think I he think, needed? You think he needed these three years then to improve? Well, he definitely needed these three years to improve and be someone who is deserving of carrying the title in a way that the company wants him to. Like if they want this guy to carry the title for nine months – um, he's way better equipped to do that today than he was three years ago, as anyone should be. Any any 
wrestler, given that opportunity should be. And there's no question that they did push him too hard, too fast, in addition to it being bad, in addition to doing it at the expense of Daniel Bryan. Why I think it may have worked that year in 2015 is if he did go over Lesnar clean, you make the assumption that Seth Rollins obviously wouldn't have cashed in the briefcase. What would then have happened, you would think, is possibly the next night on Raw, maybe Lesnar gets some revenge, or down the line a couple months, Seth Rollins and cashes it in and beats Roman Reigns, and now you have a Seth Rollins-Roman Reigns head-to-head rivalry that actually has some juice behind it, where Rollins is the clear heel and Reigns is the clear face, and that helps Reigns immensely. Instead, you didn't necessarily get that. Yes. And I think that was just kind of a microcosm of what the booking was at the time and how even it is now because what they have really done is spent the last two and a half, three years trying to repair Repair and fix Roman Reigns. And the fact that not only have they done that, BC, but that it's in Philadelphia in 2018, that Reigns is now (laughs) – doesn't hold a title (laughs) and has the opportunity to win the Royal Rumble, that Brock Lesnar is again the champion. It almost makes me feel as if Vince said – all right, let's do it again. Let's do it right this time. Okay, what so else? this makes me question whether, because it's so similar and them coming back here in the same scenario, whether, one, that they're setting up to, to F us again, they're setting up to, to screw us again the same way. But I have to ask you about intention. Why did this happen in the first place? Why was the decision made for Dan O'Brien to have that happen then? Was that screw troll, bro, troll job booking from them back then? Because they should have learned their lesson from the 2014 Rumble. You remember that, right? Daniel Bryan was on that card and lost earlier in the night, but was never a part of the Rumble match, and that's why Rey Mysterio famously got booed at number 30. And everyone afterwards, including Mick Foley publicly, was criticizing and saying, Daniel Bryan's that over? How do you not have him in the Royal Rumble match to give fans hope? So you think they already learned that lesson. No, they doubled down in 2015. So is that was that whole scenario purpose to try to anger the fans into because look what wwe knows even when you talk bad about him you're still talking about him because by the way adam if you watch smackdown this week they put up my cbs sports raw recap the first three paragraphs talking bad about raw 25 they still put that on the screen right so no bad coverage is still good coverage right so is that sort of was that purposeful troll booking like obviously they didn't book brian in 2015 so we would boo reigns right the fans made that decision well, thank God I didn't put the headline on that story that I was planning to put on because they would not have put it on the screen. So at least we still got some pub uh, from WWE. Um, I think it may have been troll booking. If it wasn't troll booking, they may have said, guys, we cannot let Daniel Bryan go to the end and have Reigns beat him. The crowd will boo the hell yes. out of him. They, they may have thought they were preventing what they actually got by getting him in and out. The problem is if you're going to eliminate him early – you have to do it in a way that it still makes him look good. Maybe he's he you know overdoes something or he gets screwed and then it starts a rivalry. They just eliminated him. That was the biggest problem. That it, it was just a truly worst case scenario. It, it was worst case scenario. All right, there's, we got what they what they can learn from this is that you do have to give the fans what they want, right? You right. can't it can't just be all about troll booking or people are going to revolt. They are going to, to riot. The aftermath of this was very interesting because. They right away after the hashtag cancel WWE network uh, started trending, they come out and they say the network's free in February for all new subscribers. So they tried to they tried to massage that. I told you I was at the SmackDown two nights later. The reason why that was important was because Monday night, the night after 
the Raw was canceled due to a very epic blizzard that was going on in Connecticut. They put out a Raw, essentially, recap show from the WWE studios in Stanford, Connecticut. So that SmackDown that on Tuesday night, which aired on Thursday, was basically like the Raw after the Royal Rumble. And it started with Triple H coming out and healing against the crowd for, you know, the controversy at the Royal Rumble. But he came out and basically said, we are going to have a big announcement the next week that will shake up WWE to its core. And the next week, Triple H came out with Steph and they tried to blame The Rock in storyline for interfering. And they're saying that's why the boos were called, which didn't make a lot of sense. But what they ultimately did was bring out Rollins and Bryan. And they booked a Rollins-Daniel Bryan match that night at Raw. And the winner would fight Roman Reigns at Fastlane to sort of correct the situation. They're saying, we don't want Roman Reigns to get a cheap victory at the Rumble because The Rock helped him. Because, you know, they're staying in kayfabe. And they want to remove the asterisk and Reigns can accept. So he accepts the match. Daniel Bryan beats Rollins. We all remember that Fastlane match, which was pretty good. Pretty good feud that was quick there. Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns. And they had one more chance in that Fastlane match, Adam. To fix the situation. And I don't mean fix it by letting Daniel Bryan go over and go back to the 2015 main event of WrestleMania and win the title all over again to keep the fans happy. Because you don't have to go that far to keep the fans happy. But do you think they could have had a better scenario by letting him win that match and get into the main event and have a triple threat of some kind? Where Rollins interferes and it becomes a triple threat by cashing in. Could that spot have been Daniel Bryan? And you could have Roman won and it still would have been fine. Well, didn't they already like acquiesce? To, was it the year before they acquiesced to Daniel Daniel Bryan? Yeah, and they got him in there. So you can't do yeah, you can't do that two years in a row. I mean, you would have thought that they learned their lesson though. Like that's that's the stunning thing, and and it continues with WWE. Like Vince likes to talk about, and I'm not trying to avoid your question here, but Vince likes to talk about guys don't have it. Well, when guys do have it and they're extremely over, Finn Balor, Daniel Bryan, Dolph Ziggler. I mean, guys that we talk about that we like. Not because we're smarks on the internet, but because they're actually good. They're entertaining on the mic and they're good in the ring. When he has guys like that that fans want to get behind, he either refuses to put them over or realizes it way too late. Whereas he then forces guys like Roman Reigns into the spotlight who, again, today, 2018, Roman Reigns deserves that spot. But in 2015, he probably did not. When you had someone like Seth Rollins, who obviously had the briefcase at the time, so you weren't going to have him win the Rumble or anything. But you have a guy like him who was getting massive heel heat. You had Dolph Ziggler, massive face heat. Daniel Bryan, massive face heat. There were other guys in that match that they could have put over and given opportunities. And instead, Vince just said, you know what? doesn't matter what the fans think. doesn't matter what they want. doesn't matter how excited they would be. The match I want to see, the money match, yeah. the, one, the one with the guy who I want to be my next Steve Austin and Hulk Hogan, that's what I'm going to do. And too bad because well, it's going to work. And they, I guess you know, in Vince's mind, he appeased the fans by – giving Brian that match against Rollins, giving him the match against Reigns that would have given him back in it. So that, so they stretched it out for a month, right, and allowed that. But here's where they screwed up. And by the way, when, when Reigns beat Brian at Fastlane, mixed results from the fans, it turned to booze when they raised Ray, Roman's arm. And then Daniel Bryan got in Roman's face, and he mouthed off mic, you better kick his ass. And then he shook his hand, and they did the baby face on baby face sort of send off, and they were booed entirely. And I realized while went, going back and rewatching it that they screwed up in this regard. They got boos for Roman Reigns by the way they handled this. Yet, they should have changed the booking style of Reigns at that point. They should have either accepted the boos as, as a change in his character or a change in the storyline. But instead, you know what they did? They essentially doubled down with the middle finger to the fans. 
They took Roman Reigns in a spot the fans wanted for Daniel Bryan, and they gave Reigns Bryan-style booking from there on out. Him against the machine. Him against the authority. That's when they first unveiled this one-versus-all thing. You know what's one-versus-all? Daniel Bryan letting the fans be so vocal in 2014 that they force him in to the WrestleMania match to not have them revolt, right? They let him take the long road to get there. They essentially made Roman Reigns do the same thing. No wonder why the fans didn't buy it. You're not giving us the guy we want, but you're going to book him in the style of the guy we really want. Like, hey, WWE, you played yourself. You played yourself at the 2015 Rumble, and you played yourself the way you booked Roman from that point forward as an ultimate babyface. Because it's awkward going back to watch that, because they're talking to Reigns like he's this underdog cheater and that you know like the rock helped you win the rumble meanwhile the fans are looking at reigns that almost like you're the incarnation of vince mcmahon we don't like so it's both the on-screen authority and the fans at home both hating on reigns at the same time who's being presented as the ultimate babyface. it made no sense yeah and it's something that they do continuously and again it just goes back to and i hate to say this because i still believe that vince even now I, don't, I hate to use the phrase knows what's best for business, but in many ways he does. You know, he knows the guys that he needs to put over. He obviously, using Elias as an example, and Triple H talked about this on our podcast. When guys have it um, and they have the opportunity to to do something great, he puts them in the position to do that. Um, but there's so many occasions where he's stuck. He's stuck in the 1980s, the 1990s, and he just doesn't necessarily get it. And the Daniel Bryan, the Roman Reigns, the Seth Rollins to some extent, Finn Balor now, Dolph Ziggler, Brock Lesnar, like still sticking with Brock Lesnar as your champion for a calendar year when Braun Strowman is so damn over that they definitely could have had him beat him and even had Strowman win it back from him and not hurt Braun. It's just crazy. And it's insane to me that it's still happening. And going back to the 2015 Royal Rumble, the fact that it was happening then and not that it's still happening now because you would expect it to be, but that we're still able to talk about it today as it being such a massive problem. It's, it's astounding to me because yeah. the truth is before 2015 and even in 2014 with the Daniel Bryan Batista, that whole situation, even before that, it wasn't this bad. And it was really bad in 2015 and 2016. And they've corrected it a little bit. But it's still really bad in 2017 and 2018. And it's just crazy. Now, as we spin this out of pay-per-view rerun and begin to preview and break down the 2018 Rumble, we're left essentially with that same question we said earlier. Did they learn their lesson from 2015, Adam? Or are they destined to repeat it because Vince loves you know, being a troll booker and, and giving the fans something to complain about? It's very interesting. But pay-per-view rewind is in the book. And my final comment about 2015 is this. I miss ravishing Russian version of Lana from 2015 with the pinstripe suits so much. I, you want to talk about a smoke show? You want to talk about I just want to just get that out there in the open that that was a, a mountaintop moment for, for, uh, for a lot of things and uh, I know she's made some changes since then, certainly her character, but can we just go back to that being like the best part about Raw? Thank you. Editorial she did. She, she was involved in something uh, Tuesday night on Smackdown where she like jumped in the ring because she's going to be in the Rumble obviously because they need women and she like kicked someone in the face and it looked terrible. I was like, wait, is she in wrestling gear again? Why is she back in wrestling gear? Like they have a fine thing going with her helping uh, Tamina. But yeah, like put her back with Rusev, allow her to speak in her regular American accent like they do, by the way, on Total Divas, where they just completely drop the kayfabe that she's Russian. Like allow this woman and this guy and Rusev to be themselves and be really good over characters. It's just it's. 
yeah. it just goes back. Well, she to actually is Russian. About. That's the weird part. She actually is Russian and grew up. In well, Russia, yeah, but, but not from. But but she's American. Right, I mean, like right. she speaks with a regular English American accent. But all right, Adam. Pay per view rewind in the bank, and yeah, I mean, seeing Adam Rose by the way makes you feel like 2015 was a long time ago. But we move forward this weekend's 2018 Royal Rumble, the whole card from Philadelphia. Let's start breaking it down match by match, Adam. They start with the SmackDown Tag Team Championship, the Usos against Chad Gable and Shelton Benjamin in a two out of three match. Where are you at in terms of expectations of what this could be? So I'll be honest, I want to start this off by saying I'm at the PGA Tour Merchandise Show in Orlando. I have not necessarily given the Royal Rumble in terms of a prediction, uh, from a prediction standpoint, too much thought. So I'm going with first blush predictions here as we go through this. BC, I'll tell you what, two out of three falls match, I think they're setting this up on purpose for new tag team champions with Gable and Benjamin. I don't know why you do this angle with the Usos and have it run this long without at least the titles changing hands one time between these duos, even if you want the Usos to have the titles going into WrestleMania. I think this is a clear title change. What about you? I am not sure. I do. I will say this as negative. I think positively this match will entertain us because these two teams can go. Negatively, they've removed my interest in this feud. They had me in the beginning. It all goes back to that first really bad episode of SmackDown and this run that they're on right now of like three in a row where Chad Gable and Shelton Benjamin came out and gave that promo and it was forever and it said nothing. I felt like that was almost a turning point. Now I'm at, I'm almost apathetic as to where the title is going. If I'm going to predict. I say that the Usos win it unless this is a feud that's going to keep going toward Mania, which then, of course, the heels should win the belt. I'll give them credit for successfully becoming heels, but not credit to the bookers for making me care about this right now. And that sucks because these guys can work. Yeah, I mean, to, for them to be such a small featured part of SmackDown when there's literally nothing else going on is insane. Let's move on to that Raw Tag Team Championship match. You have Seth Rollins and Jason Jordan coming in as champions, defending against the bar in a rematch looking to win their titles back, BC. I just want this to end, and it's nothing against the work and the bar collectively are incredible workers. We know Rollins is, but I looked it up. This feud of Rollins against the bar goes back to July. July. Are you kidding me? This has to end. I think that the belts, if they stay on Rollins, Jordan, because we know Dean Ambrose is not coming back anytime soon, you could do a lot of things. It's It's prestigious. Jason Jordan is the backbone of Raw right now. He's involved in every week's prevailing storyline, seemingly, from start to finish with a lot of backroom segments. I think that it's right to keep this on here unless you are beginning both of these guys' mania feud right off of the Rumble. Now, you would say to yourself, well, of course they are, but maybe not because there is their in-between pay-per-view. So we don't know exactly. And sometimes a lot of these mania feuds, they do get the microwave fast-forward one-month treatment, right? So we don't know for sure. But I will say this. I'd like to see Rollins and Jordan keep it going, and I'd like to continue these teases of are they both turning heel? Is one of them turning heel or nine of them turning heel? That's keeping me engaged. So I look at this as if the bar doesn't win the titles back, who else can Rollins and Jordan drop them to? Because right now, in terms of rematches and matches, it's played out. Like there's just no one out. There's They can't have another match. They can't be demanding another opportunity. And there's really no other tag teams on Raw with the exception of Gallows and Anderson. Well, there's the revival, and you can argue that them getting okay, buried to, against the, the legends. And by the way, that was gratuitous that the revival had eight people put finishing moves on them. But sorry, it was gratuitous, and they're not jobbers. They're not Heath Slater. I didn't like that at all. That's but even though the even though the revival are back, they're not in position to win the tag team titles on that show. It just at least not in my opinion. So what I think happens, I think you have to have Rollins and Jordan drop the titles to the bar. That does give you a couple more opportunities for either rematches or whatever you want to call it. And then you can have the bar get into something with Gallows and Anderson 
you know, some somewhat involving Finn Balor. Don't forget, you have the Miz has some loose relationship with the Bar. Maybe you get a six man tag out of it. Those factions start warring together, and then you can spin off the Miz and Finn Balor then for WrestleMania. So I'm going to have them dropping the titles, be, uh, either Jason Jordan or Seth Rollins doing something that causes that to happen, possibly an injured Dean Ambrose in the crowd. Who knows? Um, but I do think they drop the titles and they have to move on. From there, BC, let's go to the WWE Championship match. AJ Styles defending in a two-on-one handicap match <laughs> against Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. You can tell from my voice how terrible I believe this to be. Uh, what do you think is going to happen? Okay, the psychology match? is all over the place. And, and even the psychology of fans trying to follow this feud, right? It, the feud was all about Dan O'Brien and Shane McMahon to begin with. Now the focus is back on the superstars. But psychologically, it's all wrong. Like... Why would Daniel Bryan trap AJ into a uh, handicap match when it makes no, no sense? Why would AJ this pack week on SmackDown be willing to have separate matches against both of these guys in the main event? What, just because he's angry with them? Like, it just, it's such a leap. It doesn't make sense. They did really put over to me, though, and maybe I'm alone, but I really believe that AJ Styles was acting like a heel, purposely showing his anger to these two. So that leads me to believe, and it will get more into our Rumble match predictions, because the winner of the Rumble could very well be challenging for this title at Mania. Maybe they're setting AJ up to be a heel for whoever wins the Rumble. We'll get there. But as far as this weekend, I think he gives up the belt. I think that they are teasing us long enough that the KO Sammy co-champion thing, which is very rare and, and sort of uh, unique, I think they're going to roll that out. And because we have another pay-per-view in March, which is Fastlane, which is a while off, I think AJ could easily win it back then. And they do like to do this off the Rumble the last few years. Have you believing a matchup is going to happen based on the Rumble winner? Last year, Randy Orton win it, and we go, oh, it's going to be Orton Cena again. Nobody wants that. Well, obviously, they had plans at the in-between pay-per-view. So I think we're going double heel here win, and we're going to see a co-champion. They can't do it. They, they can't. They've already put the WWE title on Jinder Mahal for six months in 2017. We're entering 2018. They can't have co-champions. I'm not allowing it to happen. I'm not willing to entertain the thought. It disgusts me. Everything else you said, I don't want to repeat it because you nailed it. Um, this angle has been absolutely awful unless it is building to something major. And the only major thing that it could be building to is Daniel Bryan returning to the ring. Unless that happens, BC, this has been a complete disaster for the greatest title in professional wrestling history. History, It's even worse. Let's talk about this bonus DM slide here from Brian Owens at Owens11B. He says this, BC, this seems like real heel tactics on the part of AJ Styles. He's talking about the SmackDown Live main event when he kept in the calf crusher a little bit too long on Owens, causing Zane to attack him. Are they setting up a potential double turn for Styles at this pay-per-view? So I agree with Brian Owens because I teased that earlier. That I did get those same heel feels. But the double turn part is what I don't think. I don't think Adam... Even with the way that Nick laid out how he would like the Rumble to end, I don't think we're getting a double turn. I don't think KO and Sammy are, are going to be heel. I think KO and Sammy, by the way, let's say they win the title Sunday. Let's say they lose it to AJ at Fastlane. There's potential there for one of those two, likely Sammy, to turn face and then them have a feud to Mania. That's a possibility and a likelihood. I don't feel we're getting a double turn, though. Let's not say they win the titles ever as a team. No team should ever win a single title. Let's move on, BC. WWE, Universal Championship. This will probably end up being the co-main main event of the show. Brock Lesnar defends against Braun Strowman and, yes, Kane in a triple threat match. 
there's almost nothing to say and it would be a waste of our time. So let's just say this. They've been completely transparent in this feud to, to such a fault, to the fact that Kane is only in there to take the pinfall on Sunday so that Strowman doesn't have to take it. And when that is your only scenario why he's in there, you ask yourself, why are we having this match and this feud when, again, it could have easily been Finn Balor versus Brock Lesnar and Brock wins in the end and we go home happy and that's great. And even if you had to have a Strowman Kane feud in between, you would have liked that a lot better than seeing 50-year-old Kane in this title feud. Uh, they've annoyed us with Kane and they've had more than enough time to change course and they're sticking with it. And the way that that Raw show ended Monday, Adam, did you feel the same to see Braun get put through a table again? Everyone that gets put through a table on the go home show wins the championship on tune, you know, on Sunday night. That's how it works. Yeah, Brock getting put through the table, you mean not Brock. Yes. Um I was dismayed at what ha- at what went down in the Raw main event. It was just so formulaic and so predictable. The one thing I'll say is this, and BC, we talked about it on the show. My biggest problem with Brock Lesnar is that he goes on Raw, stands next to Paul Heyman, doesn't do anything. And ever since I said that, they've literally – I mean listen. They probably didn't hear me say it and they're pro- definitely not reacting to it. But ever since I've said that, I think he's only done it one time in five weeks. I like that he's getting physically involved in what's going on on Raw. So I'm glad to see that happening. Um, obviously, yes, Brock, Lesnar, Pins, Kane. Um, maybe there's some extra involvement and it's not just Braun Strowman because you've got to figure out a way to get Braun Strowman hurt and unable to factor into the finish without it necessarily being Lesnar just dominating him out of the ring. So we might see a little extra something in there. I don't know what it will be, um, but we might see it. Let's move on, BC. Women's Royal Rumble. Uh, Not much to say here that we haven't already said. And we've talked this up pretty well because we're excited about it and we think it's long overdue. They've announced 18 of the 30 women. So far, the 18 that have been announced are basically every single woman on the roster with the exception of the two champions and Paige who is injured. So BC – Actually, you know what? Before I actually ask you this question, let me give you some breaking news that you do not know about because it just came out as we've been taping this podcast. Stephanie McMahon on Twitter has announced she will be on commentary for the first ever Royal Rumble. So, so we'll get to that. We'll that likely removes that. her as a possible legend running it, in, right? No, I don't think it does because she could easily just get up from the booth and walk into the ring. <laughs> Tear off so, the dress. So let's not – so, but let's, let's mention that as we talk about this here. But – 18 women. Of the women that have already been announced, so every single woman in the company, who do you want to win? Who do you think will win? And if not one of them, what legends are you? do you think actually have an opportunity to win this match? Not which ones you'll see because yeah, there's it'll three probably conversations. be expected people. There's three so. conversations I think here. It's it's what legends do you want to see? Who do you think will actually win? And what are they going to do with Rousey, right? So let's go through that, okay? <laughs> this is what it comes down to. Of I the, was trying to put it all into one for you, and I just I kept stumbling over it. Of who I think is going to win based on the names here, I think they're teasing us to believe Asuka's going to win, but I don't think she actually will. I think that when you look at it like this, Charlotte and Alexa Bliss are the champions. They're not going to be in this match for all that we know. Then the next biggest, most popular name, and look, you kind of want the person that wins the first women's re- Royal Rumble to be a popular historic name is Sasha Banks and it would be a good time to give her a big moment to turn back what we talked about last week how they're just constantly burying her and I think that they showed us their hand when Asuka so easily defeated Alexa Bliss recently on Raw that you have Asuka win the belt at uh, Elimination Chamber and you do a money Banks-Asuka feud for the title into WrestleMania. That's my scenario that I think will happen Uh, I'm going to want to get yours in a second but I want to bring up Rousey 
I don't think she needs to be in this match, and I don't think she will be in this match because I think you need to protect her in-ring reveal until Mania. But I think she's going to be there, and I think this will announce that she is officially in the company. I don't know if it's going to be in protection of Shanna Baszler, who's not listed as one of the 18 named but could easily be in this match, or if she's just going to be in there to tease the bag, if you will, against Charlotte that we're going to see a horsewomen feud. But I think we do see her not in the match, though. I would love to counter and give a different opinion. I agree with every single word of what you just said. There's, <laughs> they, they have put Asuka over as the only person who can win this match. And for that reason, she will not win this match. I think it's I think that's okay because when you want a she's I think she's the best women's wrestler in the company obviously. But when she when you have a Royal Rumble winner coming out of the match, you want them to be able to talk on the mic and talk it up for 2 months. And I don't think you can have Oscar do that. What you can do just like you said, again, you really nailed it here. What you can have her do is win the title off Bliss, carry it for 4 weeks, you know, and head into WrestleMania as the B-side, really, of this match with potentially Sasha Banks. I think it's the only way to go. Regarding Ronda Rousey, I think you can have her in this match. I think you can bring her in, have her get into something with Becky Lynch, potentially, have Charlotte come out and save her. Um, I think you can definitely have Shayna Baszler, possibly after winning the NXT Women's title even, uh, the night before, enter into this match, look like someone who's just dominating things. Um, Again, you have Charlotte or you have... NXT women come. Rousey needs to come out. I think there's a lot of different ways you could book her. But I want to go back, BC, to what we talked about months ago. I think Ronda Rousey is going to be sitting at ringside for most, if not all, of the show. I think they're going to show her early. And then I think when the women's women's Royal Rumble match goes down, that's when she gets involved. I don't think it's going to be some run out from the back. I don't think it's going to be some you know, crazy situation like that. I think she's going to be sitting there. Someone's going to get either eliminated and she starts jawing with them. Um, I think that's how it's going to transpire. But I do think we see her at the show because honestly, at this point, if it's not at this show, it better be Monday night on raw. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe they do save that where they do like to have us enter a rumble feeling like someone big is going to come back and then not actually give us that. They do love doing that. The only, uh, they do, they did leave a lot of room for legends though. And I do hope we see, by the way, Lita, Trish Stratus, Tori Wilson, you name it on and down the line. I hope that the entire remaining spots go to legends. Everyone to Alundra Blaze to, I don't care if you dig up Wendy Richter, let's let them all be in here and have a moment because, you know, women's wrestling is finally just getting it just do the last couple of years. This match is an important part of that. Let everyone get their shine. So I don't think that's going to be, honestly, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think you're going to get a lot of May Young classic people. You're going to get some NXT people in there. And I think you'll get what they announced 18. So they have 12 spots. Four legends, uh, you know, maybe five. Uh, I will say this. They didn't even invite Lita to Raw yeah, 25. That was, weird. that was a massive oversight. So I really hope she's in this match. It would make a lot of sense, especially since she trains women at NXT and, you know, has been on these shows. She was on the Mae Young Classic commentary, right? Um, so give her an opportunity. I really would love to see Trish Stratus in there. Outside of those two, I really don't necessarily care who it is. I'll be honest. All right, well, it's not going to be Maria. Moving on to the men's Rumble match, Adam. (sighs) There's not a lot of buzz coming into here. They didn't spend a lot of time booking us excited on the Raw on Monday or even Tuesday. Like, I know, you know, RKO out of nowhere for Morton on Shinsuke kind of mixed things up, but it doesn't really tell me much about the Rumble. As we enter here... I don't have expectations for a legend. I don't have expectations for a, you know, CM Punk coming back. The big story, like Rousey on the women's side, is obviously Daniel Bryan. So 
it's hard. The betting odds have historically meant something. We talked about that last week, and they're moving in Daniel Bryan's favor. But I just think with the medical situation, this feels quick. This feels, you know, this feels like I know WWE, and WWE would rather have us, like they may have planted the leak. They'd rather have us talking about Bryan coming back and being excited about it, tuning in, hopefully, and then knowing that we're not going to get it. So I'm removing Daniel Bryan from this conversation. I don't even think he's a dark horse to be in it. I don't even think he is going to be in it. So it has to come down to it's either Reigns is going to win it or somebody to face Styles for the WWE Champions on the blue side is going to win it. Okay, I don't think it's going to be Reigns. I think that's what the Elimination Chamber is going to be for. So I have two picks. The guy who I think is going to win it, Shinsuke Nakamura, because I think it's the safest and most strategic pick. And Styles versus Nakamura goes back to Money in the Bank. We've talked about this before. They have Japan history. It's money. It's great. And you can argue there were subtle teases to Shinsuke on Tuesday night. But my dark horse and the guy who I want to win it, who no one's talking about, is Dolph Ziggler. Because this storyline... Of him disappearing, he complained about not getting a push. Well, then he got a push, he won the U.S. title, and then he gave it up and disappeared. It feels like that's a big storyline. Like, he's not just going to return and go back to jobbing. So I'm cheering for a Dolph Ziggler, AJ Styles, WrestleMania match that can be the fifth most important match on the card, but that would get me to pop. So that's a really smart pick. You know, I'm I, I, as much as I just touted a Finn Balor Miz, you know, program for the Intercontinental title. And that still makes probably way more sense than the scenario that I put out there a couple weeks ago. I would love to see Finn Balor win with now the Good Brothers by his side in the Balor Club and decide to challenge AJ Styles across the brand for the WWE title. You know, club leader versus club leader, the uh, the rematch of their awesome match. Um, or even if Finn Balor wins it and he's like about to challenge Brock Lesnar on Raw, like he's getting ready to do it and Styles' music hits. And he says, why don't you go against me? I want another opportunity at you. You know, forget the demon, Finn Balor versus AJ Styles. There's so many ways you could book it. It would be so damn over. It would be incredible. Outside of that, I think Dolph Ziggler is a really, really smart choice, especially if he entered at 30 or 29 or 28. And they can make an argument that he basically made a deal with Shane or Daniel Bryan to come back to SmackDown as long as they treated him like – you know, he deserved to be treated to give him that preferential treatment and give him a late entry into the Rumble, and he goes on and wins it. I also think he would get a massive pop from the Philadelphia smart crowd. And if you don't go with Dolph and you don't go with Finn, I do ultimately think it would have to be Shinsuke Nakamura because just as I said, you need to talk, you know, to build a Royal Rumble, you also need someone across from you who can talk yes. or be so – not just so good on the mic because AJ Styles isn't great. He's good. But – where it's so captivating and it makes so much sense and you can tell such a good story without needing to talk that you can get it done. And those guys have already done it in Japan. They have history. You have videos. You can get probably video from NJPW and wherever else. You can build that into a massive WrestleMania match. I think those are really the only three options because I'm just going to quickly read through the 17 or 18 names that they've already announced for the Rumble. And the truth is most of these guys you do not see potentially winning. And I'll name the guys I haven't, we haven't mentioned already. Elias, Randy Orton, John Cena, Baron Corbin, Matt Hardy, Bray Wyatt, Rusev, Aiden English, Apollo Crews, Titus, The Miz, Intercontinental Champion The Miz, obviously, Ty Dillinger, Big E Kofi, and Xavier Woods. Like, really none of those guys are winning. So outside of the guys we mentioned and a couple of the entrants that will be surprises um, that haven't already been announced, 
I mean, it's one of those three. It has to be. Yeah, and they could always have one, you know, wild card. They could have Orton winning again, which would be awful, and then have him lose the stipulation to somebody else. I mean, they've done that, but I hope they go clean, and I hope they give us a pop here. Shinsuke would be a pop, right? We want a pop. Ziggler would be a pop, right? Because he's deserving. So, yes. you know, if it's Shinsuke, it would support AJ going heel. So I just hope, because look, last year we didn't leave the Rumble, you know, popping. It was a good match, I thought, especially the ending, but then. The final ending of Orton winning it just didn't really, you know, it doesn't doesn't move the needle. All right, Adam, we got to get out of here, but we did not want to miss out on the Saturday NXT TakeOver Philadelphia card. We record this as we do most Wednesdays before the Go Home NXT episode, so we really only have last week's to go to set it up. And at this point, there's only four matches. We hear and feel that they're going to add a fifth. But of the four matches here... Not bad on paper. All right, let's run through these really quick and get our thoughts here. We open with an NXT Tag Team Championship match. The Undisputed Era against the Authors of Pain, who defeated the Street Profits last week to earn this number one contender spot. Um, I've really liked the promos of Undisputed Era, and I know we talked about it last week, but it's almost getting NWO-like. I think that this is the send-off to AOP to the main roster, and I think they deserve it. I think so, too, but how do you make it legitimate that they lose this match? Cheating. Cheating 100% because AOP became an odd babyface through their feud with Sanity and it didn't make a lot of sense. They just sort of randomly turned. So I think that's how you do it. You have the Undisputed Era cheat in in the numbers game and you move them on. I mean, it's definitely cheating, but you obviously have Cole in the match later in the show. Even so, these guys are, again, they're so tiny and these other two guys are so massive. It, It really doesn't make sense. I don't see them losing it. I think it might be more something having to do with another team interfering sanity or, or cause sanity is absent from this card. They don't exist on this card. Um, because, so cause, I, uh, uh, what undisputed there, took them out two weeks ago. Right, right. So I think it's more them intervening and then you can kind of write the authors of pain off than anything yeah. else. So I'm actually, I hate to make a prediction like this, but like no contest, something along those lines. <laughs> I just, I don't see the titles changing. I think that's the case. Let's move on to that women's championship match. Ember moon defending against Shayna Baszler, who correct me if I'm wrong, has not had a match in NXT. Or at least not. She one had her that debut ended. two weeks ago, and she was fantastic. And well, I was going to correct. I was going to correct myself. At least not one that ended without her just like trying yeah. to kill someone. So she yeah. comes out on last week's episode of NXT and puts uh, Aaliyah in a vicious choke, and Ember Moon comes out. And here's where it was weird: Ember Moon, the champion, challenged Shayna Baszler, which didn't feel like it was set up properly. But I think Adam fast tracking Baszler to the belt right here, maybe not fully sending her to the main roster full time. So here's my scenario. Baszler wins the belt violently on Saturday night and goes into the Rumble as NXT champion Shayna Baszler, which would put her over as more meaningful and believable to the fans that are going to start watching because of Rousey. Well, who's this bodyguard that Rousey has? Who's this girl? So here's why that's important. You can have Shayna Baszler have a couple of main roster matches in the next few weeks on Raw or SmackDown, and you can have Rousey by her side. And this is where you get Rousey on TV without giving away her ability to wrestle and without exposing her too early if she's not fully ready. You can use Shayna Baszler in that regard. I don't think Baszler has to win the Rumble, although it's in the cards and we didn't mention it. It's I guess it's a possibility. You just don't think Baszler's going to go into a title match in, in the main roster. It doesn't make a lot of sense. So I think you put the belt on Baszler here. You still have a feud with Moon, but you use Baszler for the Rousey storyline. No, you absolutely put the belt on her. There's no, the strap, I'm sorry, uh, the championship. Sorry, Vince. Um, no, you definitely put it on Baszler. There's no question that Moon, in this case, is a transitional champion. It's a little unfair to her because she honestly deserves a run with the title. But as long as she stays in that main event program, and she's been there for a while. Um, you know, I think obviously you see Ember Moon, by the way, in that Royal, women's Royal Rumble match, and her losing the title would be even more reason to get her in there. Uh, but no, Baszler definitely retains. Let's go to this third uh I, I think it's kind of a co-main event here for this 
takeover show, Alistair Black against Adam Cole in an extreme rules match. I'm actually going to go first here, BC, because we talked about it, I think, last week or, or two weeks ago. I think this is where you see the Undisputed Era expand. That's just my opinion. Expand by adding Al- – not by adding Alistair Black though, right? No, no, no. By adding uh, – what's that guy's name? The, the two Ds. I don't know how to say his name. I still don't know. Donovan. Oh, Donovan Dijak. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they add Donovan Dijak or someone along those lines because it being an Extreme Rules match, it's the only possible way you can have Aleister Black lose and not make him look bad because Adam Cole's already eaten like two or three losses already since being in NXT. It's obvious that he's not a guy who's going to – I mean he doesn't have an undefeated streak, but he's certainly not going to – be a guy who always wins. He's, you know, kind of a dastardly type of heel, swarmy type of guy. So I think you can have Black lose, but I think you need to expand Undisputed Era. Let's not forget um, that they love to make debuts at TakeOver, and they love to debut guys who we haven't heard are officially signed, right? Going back to Drew McIntyre, Adam Cole, whatever. So something I didn't say at at the spinoff of the Enzo thing, one thing they could do to change 205 Live and give him an injection is put the belt on Ricochet and call him up right now and put him in there. And I've heard there's rumors that he's going to have a new nickname using the word Prince in some form. So that'll be interesting um so maybe we can see some kind of debut whether it's dijack whether it's some of those other guys that were recently signed that is a good point i don't really have expectations on who's going to win but i think this could end up being the match that steals the show overall and i'm really excited for it i don't think the storyline has completely hooked me but man black delivers when you give him a chance and even though i think cole is too small he's got a history of delivering too so by the way good. missing on the show no sanity no velveteen dream like there's this well, is a they, very injured. thin card yeah, Dream's injured. This is very thin. You're going to get some kind of extra opener match, you would assume. But they're doing that lately, thin matches that really allow everybody to get the 20-minute treatment, and I don't hate that. And it is kind of cool that TakeOver is like a two-hour 15, two-hour 30-minute show. They don't force it to go three hours with a bunch of extra crap. So I do like that. BC, the last match here, NXT Championship, Andrade Cien Almas in his first title defense against Johnny Gargano. Yeah, this is really good. I like how this has been built. I like the promo that Johnny Gargano gave on last week's NXT, which was this emotional, I'm Johnny F in wrestling, right? I'm not, you know, overrated. I'm not an underdog. I'm, you know, I'm the real deal. And the fact that, you know, we love when uh, Vega talks for, for Almas, and she's fantastic, and she's done a lot of spot, a lot of interviews on NXT in the past month really building this. I mean, she speaks for CN, but she also really speaks for, like, adding the voices that's needed to be done to sell johnny's potential here you know on the, from the other side of things so i think this match is going to be great because man almas has really improved in the ring in a short amount of time you know it might be time for johnny to go over look i never would have saw him as a single star because he's small right but he does have incredible babyface fire he's obviously a great worker and with Tommaso champa out until you know i don't know when he's coming back or i do or is this when he's coming back i mean is that is that where you're going because i didn't think of that until right now when i caught myself mid-sentence but you know, I think it might be time for a change, but I don't want to change because I love Cien Almas, and unless they have main roster plans sooner than I think, I'd like to see him go on the run with it, even just to see Vega more. I mean, I like Vega. I think she's doing a really good job, but they really need much with him um, in these tapings or to really put him over as champion. They had one promo in the ring. It wasn't very good. Um, it was. I'm, I've been pretty disappointed, to be honest with you, and I see him as a legitimate transitional champion. He... This may be the end of his title reign. I think See, I definitely... popped for that promo because it was like a party and he was screaming and it was like weird yeah, but it was, it was it was so uneven and like didn't really tell you a story. I think in this match, in this matchup, they've told a great story with Johnny Gargano because he not only has he been on an incredible losing streak. It started when he lost two matches to Almas. Then he had obviously before that Champa, you know, take him out. He lost a bunch of other matches and now he's fought his way all the way back over multiple months to this spot. I think you have him win the title. I think it's going to be an extremely great moment 
And but to your point boy, on Champa, to your point on Champa, if you remember at the last takeover match, what did uh, Zelina Vega throw into the ring to give Almas the victory? She threw in shirt. a DIY shirt. Yeah, so absolutely. No, I mean they've that. been they've been teasing this for a long time. This feud, um, I think this has actually been thought out for an extremely long time. But I think you have Gar- Gargano go over clean. I don't think Champa gets involved. His return when he got injured was supposed to be in March. I think what you do is you have Johnny Gargano as champion, and either Ciampa costs him the title in a rematch with Almas, or um, something else happens. But you have obviously oh, those yeah. two go head-to-head, NXT take over New Orleans, and I hope that it's for the NXT okay, title. That's good I think booking. he wins it here. Silver King, that's good booking because you get the pure babyface pop of Johnny Gargano climbing the mountain on, on Saturday night, and then you lose it because Almas has brighter potential. Yes, yes, that's it right there. All right, Adam, that wraps up an absolutely loaded show. Follow us on the social medias at B. Campbell CBS, at the Costos, at Silverstein Adam. There's also a, a Twitter handle for our show, Adam, that I don't talk about enough. What is that again? At In This Corner CBS on Twitter. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, enjoy the Rumble. Uh, Adam, I'll be uh, off next week on a vacation, but you better believe I'm fired up to uh, come back after that. The fans will hear. They will hear from the ITC, though. We should make it clear that Brian Campbell, after doing a great job all year, decided to book a family <laughs> cruise during Royal Rumble weekend. So The same we day. Will, the same day as the Royal Rumble. So we will have coverage on CBSSports.com. I will be handling that. Um, and we will have a special podcast for you. Not Sunday night instant analysis, but Monday very quick analysis on the Royal Rumble with some other special surprises. Well, with a bonus interview that they simply won't want to miss. Let me tell you right that. The Brian Campbell will be a part of that one. You'll enjoy. All right, Adam, that'll do it. That'll wrap it up as we head into the Rumble. Special thanks to The Costos for joining us and bringing back that performance-enhancing audio, that libido that you simply, you know, you can't do without. But uh, enjoy the Rumble, Adam, and, you know, let's hope they leave us with a pop, right? Absolutely. You want to hit up some Kenny Omega? That's how we get out of here. You know what I'm saying? Goodbye and good night, We out.